following episode of Knights of Nitro is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Hey there, Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I am your host, your decorative bandana upon Thunder Road this week for a very special crossover Knights of Nitro uh, edition of the show, Dave Ryan. Uh, And I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Welcome to 1999, Lee. I want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) oh man Um, yeah this this was quite the introduction to a new year let me tell you um it's certainly like set your expectations friends set them nice and low this this was a real scene setter for what's to come wasn't it um god but look that's all that's all ahead of us how are you pal yeah i'm all right it's been a good couple of weeks we uh we had a nice long heat wave that i think had just started at the uh when we were recording our last episode Mm -hmm. and is kind of like it's evened out now i think a bit in ireland um but it's been good nonetheless i've gotten out to do a lot more things things are opening up over here uh i don't know i can't remember if you're double vaccined or if you've just got the one of you I've got the single, but I'm getting my second this Wednesday, so a couple of days ago. Cool. So you'll be able to get then. So we have these uh, COVID certs that now, mm-hmm. since last week, we're allowed to eat indoors, which is great because now it's gotten a bit rainy. And also, like, when I get out for lunch from work, it tends to be when everywhere is busy outside. So because there's still so few people relatively that have both mm-hmm. vaccines, I can just walk indoors and find a, a table anywhere, which is great. So you're that prick. <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy. Like I don't. I, you see, like I don't. Uh, again, I I don't want to like promote the places that have just opened with young unvaccinated staff. But at the same time, if I'm going down for like, so the other day, I was down for a work meeting, and I was just like, well, we we kind of have to find somewhere to get this done because we can't do it on work premises. It was like my my monthly supervision meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one was when I was meeting my grandmother and I was just like, I'm not going to force her to like wait outside when it's like spit and rain. Um, so it is nice in that way to be able to kind of like get inside. Um, it'll be good for me because Jen has hers, um, her mom has hers, my mom has hers. Like, so I'm literally the last. Hmm. So if we do want to do something all together, like we can all do it you know yeah it'll nice it'll be nice to have that uh availability but yeah other than you know updates from covid land uh yeah it's been a good couple of weeks i saw um i'm not gonna get to talk about it on my other podcast of the weekend so i might as well mention it here uh seeing as we were doing your catch-up on the marvel universe last year i saw mm. the latest entry in uh in the dc canon this weekend the suicide squad directed by uh guardian the Ga- guardians of the galaxy director james gunn and it's fabulous oh really <laughs> it's fantastic okay yeah. 
I gave it a strong four stars at the time. I'm thinking about going back to see it again on the bank holiday Monday tomorrow. We're recording this Sunday night. Um, and it was, yeah, it, it, it may get revised up to a four and a quarter. Although I think the next one up, next review up on Letterboxd is four and a half. So I don't know if it'll go that high. But it was, yeah, it was excellent, especially compared to the dog shit first one. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really good. And um, John Cena's really good in it. Cause he's Peacemaker in it. But um, it's that kind of thing where I've seen him in enough movies now where I'm pretty sure like John Cena isn't even remotely a good actor, but he's very good at being variations of John Cena in things. I was just going to say the best time I've seen him in anything was um, was a cock blockers where he's like the yeah. tatted up guy. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's just a variation of John Cena. Yeah. So this is like a kind of swearier John Cena. Okay. Um, it's but it's it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. I like that. Uh, I I definitely advocate for King Shark supremacy. Is is the best. Uh, Idris Elba, obviously great and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a very good movie. It's it's really fun. It's kind of the kind of dumb, uh, funny summer comic book movie I wanted. That kind of Black Widow. Much as I enjoyed, you know, a half to two thirds of Black Widow, mm. it was very self serious. Okay. Um, I've still not seen kind it. Of, so. Yeah, and the final act is kind of very, oh, this is just a third act of a Marvel movie. Nothing mm. special. Um, you know, I was far more intrigued by the way they tried to end, like, Loki, the TV show, compared to Black Widow, the movie. Um, okay, so, well, seeing as you're bringing up Loki, um, yeah. I did not watch it. I have not did watched you? it yet, no. So Have you watched any of the TV offerings? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I have. I've watched everything up as far okay. as uh, Falcon, so- Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I watched the first episode of Loki. Yeah. Which I also rewatched today because what I had started to do was I was watching chronologically through all the movies with Connor. Oh, I remember you saying that on the last episode, yeah. So in the last, I want to say, three weeks, we've blitzed everything, including yeah. WandaVision. Hmm. Uh, we have decided to skip Falcon and Walter and Winter Soldier because it's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not great. There are like moments you can pick out yeah. of it. Um, I love like di- uh, so. Did you know um, that that dude who plays U.S. Patriot, the new Captain America, is Kurt Russell's son? Mm, I think you told me that. Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah. I think so that's, you did, that's, yeah. that's that's Wyatt Russell. I love him, yeah. and he's in a criminally underrated movie called Overlord, which okay. is well worth picking out. Um, um, but, but yeah, no, that, yeah, it's not great. We uh, we watched everything, like went through them all in order. He, he absolutely loves them. You know, he's just thought it was brilliant and mm. we breeze through on division. So now we started Loki today. So yeah. we'll watch another episode or two tomorrow. Yeah, there's only six of them. Yeah, so we're going to catch up fairly quickly. Um, I think the plan, his plan, not my plan, his plan, <laughs> is to uh, watch Loki, watch Black Widow, and then jump into the Spider Man movies. Yeah. Now, are you going to go start with the Sam Raimi ones or are you just going into the MCU ones? I think he'll just want to go into the MCU ones, but then maybe okay. go back and watch the yeah. originals. Like, here's the thing is that, like, I think because people don't like Tobey Maguire, uh, I think this the Raimi trilogy gets shit on a lot. And look, mm. Spider-Man 3 is terrible. It's a, like it's an objectively <laughs> terrible movie. But I think on revision, Spider-Man 1, especially for the time it came out in, when comic book movies weren't the, the cool and popular mm. thing, I think it's excellent. And Spider-Man 2 might still be the best Spider-Man movie that isn't Spider-Verse. I remember really enjoying one. Two, I don't yeah. have much memory of. Yeah. 
But um, you know, like, I I don't remember hating them at the time. Like I remember a lot of people mm. shit on Toby McGuire, but yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, people shit on him specifically, but I think the movies are are very good. Two of them, anyway. Um, the Garfield ones, uh, the less said, the better. I think. <laughs> um, no, but Con- yeah. Connor's new thing is to tell me how old Tom Holland is every day. Yeah. Mm. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, can, can, can you please stop telling me this disgusting <laughs> stuff? Yeah. Um, still waiting on that trailer to drop for the um the third Spider-Man movie. Mm. Um. It's supposed to be out this year, but I think people are starting to get a bit sceptical because there hasn't been one bit of footage shown. I think they might hold off, yeah. Yeah, like there's still supposed to be, what, two more Marvel movies out this year anyway? Because it's Shang-Chi and the Ten- Legend of the Ten Rings and Eternals are both out this year as well. Okay. So it feels like it would be a very busy slate to get three more movies in the next five months, you know? Um. But look, let's let's turn our heads to wrestling, my friend. Um, it's a very special edition of the show, um, because we're it's our first show of ninety nine, and it's not a thunder, and it's not just a night of nitro, but we're also crossing the line to borrow a TNA parlance. <laughs> um, we're going to also be talking about Monday Night Raw, uh, which will become it'll become evident very quickly if you don't know already why we're discussing both shows in tandem, um. But because it was five hours worth of content, three hours of Nitro, which you had forgotten that they were all three hours at this stage, um, and two hours of Raw, um, we need libations for that, Lee. So our our first Beers of Thunder of 1999, hit me with your rhythm stick. What you got? I've actually gone for a beer for the first time in a long time on this show. Yeah, you um, were you were hardcore. You were stealing the Dave Ryan gimmick of doing spirits. Yeah, for a long I was time sticking to the whiskey for a long time. But I yeah. have a relatively early morning tomorrow morning, so I don't want to do anything too heavy. So I'm just sipping away in a couple of bottles of wood here. Nothing mm. too fancy. I have gone with the Irish classic myself, and I have gone for a Guinness, which I must say, for one poured out of a can, I've done uh, very well. Do you know well what? There. That that's a nice looking point. Yeah. Yeah, I've done very well. Like obviously, it's nothing like the uh, the, the the fresh draft point, uh, which I had my first one in a while uh, down in Kilkenny last weekend. We were out for lunch. I said, "Joe, I love a cheeky point." <laughs> well, I was there, and it was delicious. <laughs> That's the first time we went out for food. Posts everything opening yeah. up, and I was like, having sitting there having the first point, and just like, ah, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> yeah, people people don't understand. People who don't drink Guinness don't understand. It's like. So stout is the one type of beer you cannot replicate no. out of a bottle, out of a can. You can get like 60, 70, even 80% the, the way there with a good pour. But it's it's nothing like the same as a draft point. A friend of mine gave me a tip and I haven't tried it yet, but he, he swears by this. He said, you know, the, the bottles of Guinness. Now, yes. everybody, everybody shits on the bottles of Guinness. That's mm-hmm. a well-known fact. You do not buy bottles of Guinness. Mm-hmm. He said, "Put them in the freezer, and leave them in the freezer, and then right. pour it." And oh. apparently, it is right there. Oh, that uh, that might be getting tried now. Next time, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I suppose we're talking uh, all night about January fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, a big night. It's worth noting. Uh, that friend of the show, uh, selector Jeffrey Wessel himself, has said that. Uh, this was also the weekend of a fairly notorious Tokyo Dome show, 
but uh, I think after five hours of largely <laughs> bollocks American professional wrestling, uh, we did not fancy subjecting ourselves to an unrelated event uh, that sounded like it wasn't great either. I mean, listen, I loved Great Muda, but, you know, after five hours, I don't want to watch Great Muda, Scott Norton. No. I, I like, after five hours of this, I just wanted to sit in the dark and be sad. Um, <laughs> but let's, we're going to go with Raw first, um, so that we can set the context for Nitro, because we are a WCW podcast. So we, we'll use WWF as the, con- as the context, and WCW is the main event of the show, mm-hmm. I think is only fair. And uh, especially for... Uh, Nitro has ramifications for what we're going to be covering for this whole year. And can we just say up front another yep. reason that I feel we should do Raw first? Yeah, it is a fucking horrendous show. Oh my god, this show! So oh. this show is legendary for what happens in the main event, but preceding that, so like if you take out commercials, this is about an hour and a half, an hour and forty I, I, minutes. Of I a think show. the runtime was like an hour thirty-seven minutes. Yeah. So an hour twenty-two minutes of that is utter shit. I'd, I'd go even. I'd go even further and say an hour thirty. Yeah, yeah. Like literally the like the back half of the main, the main event. event. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, other than that, and not only so something I've never watched both of these shows in their entirety, right? I probably haven't since the time. Yeah, and I think. I had never realized that this show with the epic moment in the main event also coincides with two to three of the all-time worst angles on WWF television. Um, This was, for better and for very much worse, a very Vince Russo edition of Raw is War. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, I, I mean, I sat there watching this. I watched this yeah. last night, mm-hmm. um, and I sat there watching, and I'm going, I was like a serious WWF fan at this point yeah. in time, like, like late 1998, early 99, like I didn't miss a show, like everything, yeah. live war, fucking superstar, everything, every weekend, I watched it all, and I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm going, how in the hell did I watch this and go, this is good? So this is the thing is that like the thing people say to defend Vince Russo's booking is uh, and it's something you can't deny that it is a true statement that everybody on the show has something that they're doing. Do you know what I mean? There isn't just do you know like in WWE now there's mm-hmm. a good like half to maybe even two thirds of the roster that aren't actually doing anything week to week. They're just there, yeah. 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 Whereas everybody on the roster at this time, now granted it's a much smaller roster. Oh, so but, do you know what I was just gonna say that? It feels like there's only about 20 people on the show. Yeah, so it's a much smaller roster, um, but they all have something, like some sort of storyline they're engaged in or their faction is engaged in. Another thing that's so good about having factions is that it pulls people who mightn't be Mm -hmm. busy into bigger, more important storylines. Sorry for the people who think it's awful that AEW have so many factions, but actually factions are great. They work, yes. Yeah, yeah. Factions done badly, much like everything in wrestling. Things that are done badly are bad, and things that are done well are good. Funnily enough, you can actually do almost anything well if you're not dumb. Hey, remember Gang Wars? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um. So, my thing about it is, I was watching this, and by the way, it's worth noting as well. As I get more exasperated throughout these shows, I watch these shows back to back. Oh, you know. 
in the order that we're talking about them. So you'll see my quality of note taking drops off a cliff at some point about halfway through Nitro. But uh, I'm, I'm surprised so- you made the battle. For- <laughs> <laughs> Something my my initial gut reaction having finished Raw and it'll be interesting to see if when we tease it out and discuss it and review it here I feel the same after it is why we were so invested in WWF in the 90s was that yes like even though a majority of people had something going on a lot of it was dog shit mm-hmm. but we had a level of investment in the main event players that kind of just smoothed over all those cracks do you know what I mean? We cared so deeply about what Mick Foley, yeah. what Stone Cold, what The Rock, you know, what these people were doing. And even Shawn Michaels as well, who was still very much a presence uh, on this show until he was murdered um, about halfway through this show. Um, like all these kind of big names, we're so invested in them. It balances out all the horseshit that, that just fills time on the program, I think. Yeah, that's the one, like I was going to say kind of later on when we see him for the first time, but the one thing that really stands out on the show to me the most is mm. how over McFoley is. Yeah. I mean, he, like Austin is fucking up here. Austin is way yep. out on his own as the top babyface, and that's, you know, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's the biggest star in yep. the history of the industry. Yes. But I kind of forgot just how beloved Mick Foley was because it's easy yeah. to forget when you see how yeah. many times he came back and what he became a bit of a run and joke and all that yeah like th- he points out in the crowd like the Foley is God science mm-hmm. like this is fucking 1999 yeah yeah like you thought you would think in your head that the Foley is God stuff was very much the tail end of like Mick Foley like his kind mm-hmm. of when he had retired and come back sort of thing but no like here he was in the kind of like this is you know apart from maybe hell in the cell this is the biggest yeah, like, night of his career i, I want to say like from survivor series 98 through hell in a cell in what february 2000 this is the yeah. peak, peak of his run yeah and he remains at fucking this level like top level for a good year and a half that's it that's a yeah. better run than a lot of people ever get and he's one of those guys that, that stays at that top level and you don't hear people say a bad word about mm-hmm. him either. Like, you didn't have to stab people in the back to get there. It was a very organic, the people chose him sort of thing. Which, which um, is something we'll come back to when we get into Nitro as well. For sure. But it, the thing that's so refreshing about Foley is that, like I said, he's a guy that, that the fans kind of chose. But as well, instead of trying to run from that, this is... Vince leaning into it. And do you know what? I want to say that a couple of people probably helped Vince see it that way. Like, we we know JR had a big say at the time. Yeah. So, JR would have still been head of talent relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he ha- obviously was the one that pushed to bring in Foley to work with Undertaker. Yeah. Um, uh, so, he still would have had Cornette around this Cornette time, was still yeah. around, yeah. Um, so, he wasn't long for the world now at this stage. Cause, uh, so, in a couple of months, by the time SmackDown makes its network, uh, oh, it, they, gone, do, yeah. they, do, they do that pilot. He's yeah. the commentator on the pilot. And then he's gone completely the from starts, creative. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, d- down to uh, OV Dub. Patterson is still obviously a main event kind of... Um, agent at this point best finish guy in the history of the business and, and as we know he was the rock's guy or well the rock was his guy at the time yeah 
He was um, a, it was a Rock has said many interviews that Pat Patterson like he Pat Patterson did all his mm-hmm. matches and he wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and I mean, listen, Vince Russo obviously had to be a Foley guy because, like it or not, for the previous year to this point, Foley had been involved in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, and this is like the absolute payoff, mm-hmm. and because of the way they had structured the Rumble. I don't feel it was the kind of payoff. So, you know, WCW do payoffs on TV that fuck over a pay-per-view just to pop up rating. Mm-hmm. Whereas it felt like the main event moment tonight, which is obviously Mick Foley winning the WWF title. We haven't outright said what it is, what the moment is, but this is him winning the title. Um, It feels like as big a moment that was, it didn't devalue the pay-per-view because the pay-per-view was then built around the infamous uh, rock Mankind rematch and uh, also the Vince Austin Royal mm-hmm. Rumble storyline so it didn't feel like you were taking stuff away from the pay-per-view if anything it felt smarter because I think Foley winning the title on the Royal Rumble might kind of not overshadow Austin because you can't do that at this point but it definitely doesn't help it stand alone mm-hmm. as a moment you know um, and the other thing you also have to take into consideration is WWF knew that WCW had sold out the Georgia Dome mm-hmm. for Nitro yeah they had to put up something against yeah um, whatever WCW were going to run it was obviously going to be something yeah. big they were back in mm-hmm. the Georgia Dome for the first time since Goldberg Hogan yeah and yeah outdoing that attendance and well, what WWF put on, apart from this main event, Lee, and let's get into it, was uh, largely a horrendous television program. Mm-hmm. This is Raw is War episode 293, coming from the uh, Worcester Centrum in Worcester, Mass. Um, we started off with a video package, uh, <laughs> which was from uh, a week or two ago, and that was of Vince firing Shawn Michaels and uh, Shawn super kicking Vince. And this is so. This is the other thing, um, an an interesting point of comparison because the heel authority figures of both programs are all over their respective programs mm-hmm. tonight. And my, oh my, by comparison, is it an Oscar-winning performance from Vince McMahon tonight, start to finish? <laughs> I Like, we, we've said it before. Vince McMahon, the man, horrendous human being a yeah. lot of the time. Vince McMahon, the character, is one of the greatest pro wrestling characters in history. And if you don't think he is, you're in denial or you're dumb. Because he he is, and we said it the last time we talked WF stuff, he's so intrinsic to the rise yeah. of Austin because you need that despicable evil monster for him to go up against. And just starting off this program with, the, it, it was such a cool bit where they're halfway through the video package of him getting super kicked and you just hear, I got a crap off the screen. No, hang on, hang on. <laughs> You're downplaying the video package because we, get, we obviously yeah. get that bit where Sean is fired and he super kicks Vince. But then we get that Sean is dead, and what a career he had. Yeah, oh my God. The, remember, 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 that, the... That, remember that sad music they used to play all the time? Yeah, stealing the WCW <laughs> bit of doing video packages for guys, making it look like they're dead, like they did for the Giant and for who I, else? I was think it was it? like nobody could steal a show like Shawn Michaels. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it was really <laughs> in memoriam stuff. The, the, the real sad um, Todd Pettengill voice. 
Yeah. Before uh, you got that, you know, get the crap off the screen. <laughs> it was real, like, guttural. Um, he comes out with the corporation, um, and Cole said, Vince has promised that Sean will be, quote, dismembered by the corporation if he shows up tonight. This is the other thing uh, I love about this period of Vince. You kind of forget about, like, grapefruit genetic jackhammer era mm-hmm. Vince is that there was a period of Vince post-Montreal where he was eloquent. Yes. Very well spoken, mm-hmm. which, again, you know, like, playing into the uh, the hands of that kind of uh, he's everything blue-collar America hates. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bit about um, where he talks about I wouldn't hold your breath. Uh, about Sean showing up tonight unless you wish to die of oxygen deprivation. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, he he's very much the rich boss who's better than anybody else, you know. Yeah. He has the um the I want to I don't want to say like college degree, but he's like that kind of he's upper class, he's better than everybody else. He, yeah. He's a little bit of MJF, shall we say. Yeah, a little bit. So um, this is also during the period where Kane has joined the corporation, but in kind of a way where they're all taking the piss out of him. So he has a sign on his back that they've just sticky taped to his back, like a kick me type of sign. Mm -hmm. Now, later on, when he comes out again for a match, you can see what a sign says, but I don't know if this was the same sign, so I'm not going to say what the sign later said, just in case. But you can't quite catch a clear image of what the sign says during this segment. Um, then we see on the Titantron that Shawn Michaels is arriving in fabulous, like, is like a blood red shirt and a, what is he wearing? Like a, a waistcoat, waistcoat and black, over it. black jeans. And is, does he have a bolo tie on as well? Or am I imagining? No, not that time. Um, he says his contract as commissioner is ironclad. So Vince can't fire him. But because Vince has competed in the World Wrestling Federation and entered the Royal Rumble, he is now a competitor, which means Sean has control over him. Um, so he's. I was just going gonna to say, so this is the first sign of a Vince Russo show, and which of which there yeah. are many throughout the night, is the yeah. ironclad contract. Yeah. So. Doesn't explain really what it means. No. But it just suffice to say he's running the show. So we learn from this that um, he had uh, malevolently decided, Vince had, that uh, Stone Cold would enter the Royal Rumble, but he would enter at number one. And uh, Sean says, well, Vince, you will be entering the Royal Rumble and it won't be at number 30. It's going to be at number two so that Stone Cold has the whole night taken part. Now, thankfully, the one gaping logic hole that might have been found in this Sean did explain away because you would think to yourself well if he's the babyface commissioner why not put Austin at number 30 but he was just like oh my commissioner contract says for some fucking reason the one person he doesn't have control over is Stone Cold yeah Um, it's fucking ridiculous but look well I wonder does that date back to because it was in was it it was mid 1998 where they did the thing where uh, Stone Cold was the CEO right Yes, so it might right. have and, something and, to do and with he that. He wrote his own contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah so okay. it probably does have something to do okay, with that. Yeah. So it it does make sense. I'll give him that. Uh, and uh, Sean finishes his promo by saying that he guarantees a surprise tonight that will drive him stone cold crazy. So I wonder what that could possibly be. I think it's Viscera as the toward man. Yeah, I I'm starting <laughs> to think now that that Darby Allen promo this week where he talks about the best in the world was stolen from the Shawn Michaels book of subtlety. <laughs> uh, having watched this promo, 
Uh, then we get our hosts for the evening. Uh, Jerry Lawler, Michael Cole, and a leering fan with a license plate who's trying to basically wedge himself in between them. Uh, this was weird. So this is still a young, crackling voice, Michael Cole, who uh, was not a great commentator at the time, but I think later on in the night does deliver one of his better early days performances. Uh, and this was still kind of like, I don't want to say peak Jerry Lawler, but it was still like sharp keyed in with the product Jerry Lawler he hadn't completely just com- tuned out on things oh, he's, st- he's still cared at this point That that's the yeah, best he, thing I can say he was still like it's still a massive downgrade coming over to the other channel away from Bobby Heenan but mm-hmm. like as far as Jerry Lawler commentary goes this is about as good as it's getting at this in this era I will say Cole and Lawler have negative chemistry at this point yeah, yeah, and well, we only have a couple of months more to bear of it because mm-hmm. uh, Jim Ross does return at WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, we should because talk. It we... was the wasn't it the um, I think we talked about it on the last show where it was during the English tour where his Jim Ross's his mother, mother got died say, very sick or died. Yeah, yeah, and it, she died like the morning of the show they did over there, and he did the show, and then he got a, an attack Be- of Bell's Bell palsy. Yeah, yeah. So. I think it may have even happened during the show or something. That was like it was really, really bad. Yeah. Um, may well have but yeah let, let's talk about this. so Cole and Lawler set up the show and mm. they set it up with the Stone Cold tease yeah and promoting Road Dog versus Al Snow that, yeah. that's your hot match for tonight yeah um god almighty yeah Jesus Christ our opening contest um Gave me brief hope because it was just like stiff lads having a tussle. It was Ken Shamrock versus Steve Blackman's old music. Uh, so I was very excited by this, especially when like the first thing they did was trade Judas effects. Uh, <laughs> did, hang on. Did you see the sign of the kid during Shamrock's entrance? No. Oh, man. There's this young girl. Like, I mean, like child, like less than 10. Yeah. And she has a sign that says, I fought Shamrock, and all I got was this black guy. Oh, I did see that, yeah. Oh, and the God. camera proceeds to zoom in on her face. Just to check, as if to go, let's look for the black guy. Ah, she's a fucking liar. <laughs> uh, yeah, uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, they're just doing, like, kicks and punches for a couple of minutes. And then Dan Severn comes out in a neck brace, but you wouldn't notice the neck brace at first because he's wearing the most incredible shirt. <laughs> I didn't think that was a shirt, to be honest. There's about 80 different patterns and colours going on in that shirt. It was, uh, it really tested the colour balance on my TV. Bit, bit like Chelsea's New Jersey, hey? Yeah. <laughs> he, so Shamrock finally sees Severn then. He's kind of, Severn is just wandering around like he's missed his cue for about a minute. And then Shamrock finally sees him. Severn gets up on the apron to confront him while the ref is distracted. Uh, Billy Gunn runs out, hits a Famouser and Steve Blackman wins. Uh, not really much to write home about this match, which is a running theme of the night. It keeps the badass Billy Gunn, Ken Shamrock feud going. Yeah, which I know we're all here to see. Um, we also, at the end of this segment, get a clip, uh, highlights from the Southwest Airline <laughs> magazine, which has a pull-out profile on Vince McMahon. And the thing is, I love about it is it's Vince McMahon and The Rock. And it... it it's the whole interview is about Vince and The Rock is essentially his prop in it. Uh, the Rock, who is the champion and wearing his belt in the photo shoot, but it also indulges one of my favorite tropes in wrestling, and that is uh, wrestlers in normal situation in full gear. 
Oh yeah. Uh, and as in the interview, like in the the pullout for the interview with the with the photos and stuff like that, the Rock, like Vince is there in his suit and Rock is there in full gear, oiled up with the belt, which makes no sense because if he had to show yeah. it up in a Rock short and slacks, it would have been yeah. you know proper the Rock. I I hope that like the captions of photos are like, oh here's Vince McMahon with his pal Rocky Maivia, <laughs> his pal, <laughs> or Vince and a friend. <laughs> um. So then we get a, it's like a, a you know a sponsored highlight package of the last match, sponsored by some company that poor George Carlin, Lord of Mercy on him, was doing the... Uh, 10, 10, 2, the, 20. Yeah, Come on, for, don't oh, say you don't 10, remember 20. this. No, I don't. Oh, man. That's Dude, fucking... I was nine years old when this happened. Staple of my childhood to listen to those fucking ads. That yeah, and then so... the, the JVC boombox. So I was go- I, like, I was until I realized it was a sponsorship. I was like, "What the fuck is George Carlin doing on my TV?" Not that I'm complaining about it. Legend of the game. Um, so yeah, then we see Blackman and Billy still scrapping backstage. Kind of again, Vince Russo trope, uh, where it's just like things are always happening all the time. Um, now we get mankind out, and in a sign of things to come for the night, a huge ovation mm-hmm. for Mrs. Foley's baby boy. Um, a flashback to him taking out Shane and the Stooges from Raw last week or a couple of weeks ago. Um, he said he kind of enjoyed grabbing Pat's testicles. Uh, he says his new favorite hobby is kicking the McMahon family's asses. He wants a shot at the Rock at the Rumble, and he calls out Dad Vince. Uh, Vince, among other things, describes Mick Foley, uh, mankind here, as a decrepit monster, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> He said that even asking for a shot, let alone having one at the title, stains the title and the I World Wrestling that. Federation itself. Idea. Vince says he has never paid his dues, which of <laughs> all people in his employ at the time, the one man you cannot question the dues paying of is Mankind. Hang on, I want to say on, on that bit, I, when I was watching the show, I thought of this. I think Vince put that in without Foley knowing about it. Like, I guarantee he didn't tell Mick what he was going to say. Yeah. Be- just gonna pop him. Because it just reminds me of that bit of, you know, Jericho backstage, like, what, three days before um, Armageddon or Vengeance, whatever it was fucking called, where he's walking backstage and he sees Vince and Taker and Vince just goes, oh, the business must really be in the shitter for putting the belt on Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. And uh, I just thought, you know, Vince is just literally trying to pop himself and the boys by saying Nick had, yeah. hadn't made his shoes. So every he's, Vince says every time he could have guided mankind to glory, he listened to those fans instead. What for the roar of the crowd? And uh, mankind's like, I like that roar, which is <laughs> <laughs> great. He said he will never again challenge for gold. I think Vince even said like even that hardcore title, I'm not going to let you challenge for. Yeah, you might claw yourself up to a hardcore title shot or something like that. Yeah, yeah which is like just absolute burial. Um, in his big in main s- event. Instead, tonight, he and Triple H will wrestle for a spot in the Rumble with uh, the special impartial guest referee, the product of his semen, Shane McMahon. He, he didn't say that at the time. No, he, he's but, not quite there yet. Regrettably, I can't ever unhear that promo of his. <laughs> um, next up. <sighs> here's here's one of them. Yep. A brief clip of China and her girlfriend backstage, uh, which I wrote, oh no. Yep. Because I knew what storyline this was straight away. 
Next up, we have Sexual Chocolate, Mark Henry versus Goldust. Just a very sexy match here. Between two sexy lads having a sexy time. <laughs> I mean, Sexual Chocolate and Goldust. I mean, it it's so 1999. It's the most 1999. I'm, I'm disappointed um, uh, Sexual Chocolate hadn't got his Sexual Chocolate gear yet at this stage. We still need his, no. his uh, nation gear. Yeah. Um, so Goldust is doing his level best here for a couple of minutes, but it's worth pointing, much as I love him now, 1999 Mark Henry sucks. Oh, he's awful. He is horrendous. It's literally slams and clubbing blows and really bad punches. Yeah, Dustin had clearly like set up this match as like, how can we fuck it up the least? Mm-hmm. And even still, like he looked awful he looked so slow and just terrified in there Uh, anyway it mercifully like i'm usually annoyed when matches only last a couple of minutes and then there's immediate interference or an angle but this time i was kind of like oh thank god so china and her friend come out for the distraction goldust takes advantage shattered dreams and gets disqualified i've always thought it's also the most vince russo thing in the world that you have a guy whose finisher automatically gets him disqualified but his music plays anyway yeah um china in the ring and she says the other night was great at which point jerry lawler nearly lost his life say not the other night uh but she's afraid that she isn't enough woman for mark So what if her and Sammy take a load off his mind and then he in the most like Bugs Bunny sort of like Looney Tunes sort of way just faints. Mm -hmm. And I I wrote my one word evaluation of this segment. Shite. I did like Colt's timber as he's fallen. Yes. But other than that. I do think think he sold the cartoon faint very well. Um, Next up. Hang on. I just want to I just want to premise the fact that this match was introduced with two sponsors right as Mark Henry was making his entrance. Do you remember what those two sponsors were, Dave? I do not, sir. Let's remember that wrestling wasn't exactly known for getting really good sponsors at this stage. Yeah. Burger King and Castro <laughs> GTX. Oh, Castro GTX, drive hard. We're, we're sponsors. iconic WWF sponsor. Yeah, like I was going, right, did, like, this is an all-time bad segment. And Burger King and Casual GTX have just been, you know, mentioned minutes before. Yeah. D- uh, I'm just saying, Domino's Pizza should thank their lucky stars. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Um, Imagine if Twitter or the internet was around in 1999. That's all I can say. Uh, right. Uh, next up, a recurring segment that happens. <laughs> uh, I wrote and I tweet out one simple sentence, Lee. Dennis Knight is in the sex dungeon. <laughs> Yeah, he is. <laughs> so, the context of this... There's no context um, you need. No, you don't need. It, it makes it worse. So, essentially, what had happened was Dennis Knight, one half of is it Southern Justice? Southern Justice, yeah. One half of Southern Justice, got abducted by the Acolytes. Um, the Acolytes, at this point, dressed like bouncers, just wearing very tight black t-shirts and black cords by the looks of it. Um, so, he got abducted by them. All throughout tonight, we're going to see him in a sex dungeon. And, of course, the end product of this is that Dennis Knight becomes Midian. Uh, Uh, But we don't uh, see the payoff for that tonight. And then, of course, naked Midian. And then, of course, naked Midian. Uh, (laughs) um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, did you remember the sex dungeon? I I didn't, but as soon as it came up on screen, I remembered. Yeah, yeah. It looks like so one. It looks like a sex dungeon, but if you don't uh, like outside of sex dungeon, the other thing it looks like is like generic layer for a monster of the week on Buffy. Do you know, like, if you ever watched Buffy back in the day, like, the particularly the early seasons where they didn't have a great budget, even by TV standards, and, like, everything was in, like, generic grey room mm. with dry ice. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Dennis Knight in the sex dungeon. <laughs> anyway, we move on from that depraved angle to another depraved angle, that being the Godfather himself. The Godfather is here with Hose uh, versus Test. Uh, we are reminded by the Godfather in his promo here that pimping is in fact quite difficult. Um, so it, that should be noted. It's the most white man ever. Uh, uh, Godfather looks to finish this quick, uh, but Val Venus comes out to have a look. Of course he does. Because he, he uh, never for, finishes quick apparently. So yeah, uh, It's uh, an early sighting here of the uh, you know Godfather and Val Venus in the same area at the same time. The tag team that would later become known as Supply and Demand. Just the greatest tag team mm-hmm. name of all time. And I will fight you if you disagree. Um, so yeah, uh, Val is out to have a look. Briefly distracts the Godfather. Uh, Val Venus. Um, look, I tried to find other ways to describe this, but Val Venus is on the ramp stroking himself. Uh, this whole time as he watches on. Uh, I, what? Oh, oh, like oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Aggressively and suggestively stro- stroking his beard. But then I, as I was writing that, I wrote down in my notes, stroking himself. And, you know, once that's down in the paper, you, you have to run with it. Um, <laughs> Tess gets disqualified and he goes running after Val Venus. They have a pull apart brawl. Now, is it just me or until he ran after Val Venus, did you assume the way this match was going, it was Val Venus that was shooting with the Godfather? I assume because that's uh, that's certainly what it looked like, you know, by the distraction and stuff like that. I mean, maybe Val Venus just really liked the match. I, I, uh, yeah, I could. Well, he it. was stro- he was stroking himself quite vigorously, so it's, it did seem like he he quite enjoyed the match. At this point, we should point out we're three matches in, and each time somebody has come out onto the stage slash ramp. Yes, yes. <sighs> Again, Vince Russo trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have DX just hanging out backstage with Sean, and then we get the Glover Slam of the Week. I didn't even write down what the Slam of the Week is. I just popped because I think we mentioned on the show yeah. a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? The the platformer mm-hmm. Glover on the N64. So full circle moment there for the podcast, I think. It was just clips of Mankind and Shane from two weeks ago. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. Uh, so next up, we have Triple H versus Mankind with referee Shane. Uh, first note here, Lee, Triple H's red leather gear, horrendous. Yeah, Triple H did not find himself until what late ninety nine was when uh, mi- middle of ninety nine because he started doing that. Um, he he did his sit down with Jr. at the start of the summer, didn't he? Yeah, but like he, whole... even gear wise, he still wasn't great until I want to say the late part of ninety nine where he actually just went yeah, for the yeah. full black. Around the time the regime was about to start, mm. um. So, uh, I will say, relative to every other contest so far, uh, a noticeable uptick in the quality of wrestling mm-hmm. for the 90 seconds, two minutes of a match we had here. A uh, couple of minutes of good back and forth stuff between the lads. Um, and you know what? It's something that everybody shits on, and rightfully so a lot of the time. And I remember particularly listening to Brian Alvarez for years on the F4W site talking about how much he hated the heel ref gimmick. This might be 
the first one of the first and only times where the heel ref gimmick is done right See the way usually the heel ref gimmick is done where you have like a 15 minute match and he's counting it down the middle until the end and Brian Alvarez's thing is always like if you're the heel ref why don't you just end it in like 30 mm-hmm. seconds you know so this is kind of done right because the first opportunity Shane has to screw mankind he does <laughs> Yeah, Triple H does. Uh, he does a sunset flip, and uh, Mick is holding on to the ropes. And immediately, Shane kicks his hands out. The roll up happens, and unbelievable—the fastest fast count I may have ever seen in my life. <laughs> um. So yeah, he wins. People are booing Triple H, and I think Triple H does because Triple H is obviously like their DX are kind of, like their baby faces, but they're also kind of tweeners. It depends on the situation. Yeah, it's weird. Like I remember at the time being really into the Triple H DX or well, the yeah. Triple H led DX at that time. Maybe a little bit earlier than this, like maybe late summer in around the Rockfield. I was really into Triple H. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's like yeah, they're they're not really faces now but he does a good promo to kind of mitigate the booing he's getting because he's just like you know he says honestly like sorry mick but you know a shot at the royal rumble is something you just have to take you mm-hmm. know man to man business is business and you know that makes sense and he goes but then he finishes off the promo to get by you know ever ever the worker triple h he needs to get his pop so he says also happy new year turns around pedigrees shane and then uh, Mankind puts him in a hold that he then claims in the microphone Jim McGonagall taught him <laughs> uh, and threatens to rip his or break his shoulder. Vince comes out. Man, you've seen this thing before where, you know, the baby face has the heel in the submission and da- d- demands the match. Um, Mankind says he wants uh, his, ti- his world title shot tonight. Vince agrees. Mankind says, but he has another demand. He wants to be no DQ. Vince agrees. Mankind lets Shane go and bails. Uh, so our main event is set. It's not just all snow anymore. But we should um, say The Rock comes out and is pissed at Vince. Said he's not even in his gear. But yeah. as we know, this would be Rock's gear for the next month. Yeah. Yeah, he had just had his gyno surgery, yes, hadn't he? Yes, he had. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, our next match, uh, a very young Edge versus D'Lo Brown. A very young D'Lo as well. Yeah. Now, Lee, I don't think we've ever talked about him properly on the show, but, like, during this period of time and for the couple of years thereafter, I was a huge fan of D'Lo Brown. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. First ever Eurocontinental champion. Yeah, like, the look... The swagger. Mm-hmm. Then when he when he added the vest as well, yeah. obviously, like I loved him. And as a guy who consumed like both hours, you know, the metal and shotgun on Sky One at the weekend, I saw a lot of D'Lo Brown wrestling. He was an absolute bump machine for the nation. Like yeah, any feud they were in, he would just fly all over the place. Yeah, um, there's there there's a lot of guys from this period and like from the peak of the Attitude Era. And people say, oh, is this the most underrated guy? Is that the most underrated guy? And I think there's a lot of them in WCW, the likes mm-hmm. of Saturn and Raven and Canyon that we talk about. In WWF, I feel like by now in 2021, most of them have got their due from history. Mm-hmm. But the two I always think of that really like like are undervalued in terms of like what good hands they were are him. And to a lesser te- extent, I also loved Scotty Tuhati. See, I thought the, the two for me that I'd always go with that could have been 
I don't want to say main eventers. I know one of them could. Yeah. I don't want to say D'Lo could have been a main eventer, but he definitely could have been an upper mid card guy. He could have been, or he could have been one of those guys that maybe got one shot on a B mm. pay per view or something like that. I think D'Lo and Shamrock, like Shamrock, was right oh, there yeah, at some look. stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Shamrock wasn't the worker that Dilo no. Brand developed into, but he had a main event Connection. level aura yeah. presence, and because he was a little, I think we said this on Deadly Game as well, because he was rough around the edges, it worked yeah. for the character. Do you know? I I think we said that a lot um back in the day about. Do you remember when Sasha got called up mm-hmm. and she didn't necessarily gel well with some people yet? Like she wasn't quite at the level she is now. But for the gimmick she was doing and for the people she was put up against, it worked very well. Particularly, like, I remember her feud with Asuka, Mm -hmm. which just, they came off, like, actual fights. But, yeah, that was Shamrock. And, yeah, I absolutely agree. Shamrock should have been a multiple-time World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, D'Lo is a guy who I think, I think he's one of those guys, I hate the term, but, like, a worker's worker. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think people who were in the ring with him really appreciate what that guy did and people who know what to look out for really appreciate him I, I, I hate to bring it up but it, it is obvious in hindsight to say the draws injury really set him back yeah oh it completely like shattered his confidence but the thing that is also a testament to how good that guy was nobody draws included blamed really him. blamed no. him like I think draws said that like initially there was that like knee jerk reaction of anger mm-hmm. because obviously he was the other guy in the ring and you know wrestlers you know being old-fashioned traditional carnies are like you know it's your job to look after your opponent uh blah 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 but as he said like the more he thought about it the more it's like it's just a freak accident um and yeah it really harmed his confidence i think he did recover to the level he had been before i think he was a very solid guy until he wasn't in the wwf Mm -hmm. anymore but he was a guy that god i always wonder what if with him um i've said on here before but like Delo's TNA run in 2003, 2000, yeah, 2003-ish was yeah. really good. Yeah, and he was obviously the uh, the kind of like the, the, the relative veteran in here mm-hmm. with a very young edge. Um, it's all D'Lo early. He hits a, an incredible running liar bomb mm-hmm. at one point. Look class. Uh, he goes for the, the Brett's rope elbow drop. Uh, edge moves, fights back, and then... The second oh no of the nightly, Terry and Jacqueline come out. And as soon as she came out and she's wearing that, like the black dress, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I know what this is. So she, she's pregnant at this point. The angle is that she's pregnant and she's rubbing her stomach as she's coming out to emphasize to the idiots, remember? And then she gets up on the apron. She's having an altercation with verbal altercation, we should say verbal altercation. Yeah. And then without any hand being laid on her, she slips off the step, falls. And as the end of this match and the segment that then ensues backstage, it heavily implies she miscarries. (sighs) All time. Horrible, horrible angle. I can't imagine Lee. A human being on this earth who that segment was for apart from one Vic Venom oh it was for Russo because Terry got to wear a short skirt and roll around on the ground yeah and you get to see her underwear for five minutes that that's I honestly I'm sitting there watching this going like how why would like yeah. like I I hate to like I don't want to be a Jim Cornette sounding kind of guy because but like what is this 
what sort of money angle is this building? Mm-hmm. What sort of money matches this building? If you are not building to something that pays off in a way that makes people pay to see it or interested in it or give them emotional investment, what are you doing? And you can tell by the crowd reaction here, Lee, that no one gives a fuck. And can I just say, Lawler on commentary blaming Terry mm. is it just adds to the tone deafness of this whole thing. Yeah, because I think there's one where your initial reaction is to go, oh, well, that's classic Jerry Lawler, isn't it? Blaming the woman. But you got to remember, even at this time, the earpiece is in the headset mm-hmm. and he's definitely being fed this stuff. Uh, Lawler was a guy who uh, was always known. So JR was somebody who wanted to know everything uh, going in, like who's going over, mm-hmm. you know, so that he can prepare his lines in advance. Whereas Lawler didn't prepare because he wanted to be surprised and fed his lines so that he was a more reactive sounding guy. So this, to me, doesn't seem like something, oh, Jerry Lawler planned out that he was going to blame Terry. And I don't want to mitigate, you know, for many reasons, Jerry Lawler is an awful human being. Mm-hmm. But like in this case, I'm more inclined to blame whoever's in his ear. Yeah, 100%. I, I don't want to spend too much time about talking about it. it. It's just an all-time bad angle. It's... It yeah. doesn't get talked about much anymore, thankfully. Yeah. Like, people don't remember it the way they remember Katie Vick. They're, yeah, people talk about things like Katie Vick, the live sex celebration, things like that in terms of demeaning women's angles. Um, Delete a pregnancy kind of overshadows it as well. Yeah. Um. But holy shit, the two, the one-two of angles involving women on this mm-hmm. show. Yeesh. Um. Yeah, it's awful, and like it's made even grimmer and darker when you come back, uh, from the break, and the hippie doctor in his poncho almost uh is saying Fra- that, Francois uh, Petit, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's saying something to the effect that he can't hear the baby because he's yeah. got the stethoscope up to her stomach, and it's like, oh god. And then like in a very like WWF sort of way, they're kind of basically like, anyway, back to the show. I think at one stage he asks, "You are pregnant?" Question mark. Yeah. Oh, it's just awful. It's awful. Anyway, look, let's not dwell on it. Uh, we'll move on. I was just going to say, they come back from that and the arena goes yeah. dark and the people lose their fucking minds. Yeah. Oh, my God. You really do forget how over Kane I, was. I, I'll take on this. I think Kane's more over than Foley at this point. <laughs> he might be. Like, there's, like, one of the loudest pops in Raw history is that time that he came back with Bear. In 2000, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and wrecked everybody. I loved Kane around this time. Like, right through the end of the invasion, I fucking loved Kane. Um, I was so into him as a kid. Um, But how could you not be? Like, mm-hmm. aesthetically, it's such a great act, and he's just all power moves. You know, it's it's like it's perfect for the character. I, like like but, I say, at this point, like, I remember him being over. Yeah. But at this point, I, I know this whole story of the kind of the asylum and stuff. I don't remember yeah. it being this over. So mm-hmm. that when the crowd went mental, I was taken aback. Can I just say as well, not to, well, I, I'm promoting another podcast, Patreon, and doing this. So uh, an influential podcast on us, the Attitude Era podcast, they do a, a mini series on their Patreon called The Bibliotech, where Adam Bibolo reads wrestling books and reviews them with Kevin. And they did the Journey into Darkness 
the fake Kane autobiography. Okay. That's the autobiography of Kane the character as opposed to Glenn Jacobs the man. And it's like a two or three part podcast. And holy shit, Lee. Holy shit. It is worth the month of their, like their Patreon is great. It's what I've, I've, since I got on Patreon, I've been subscribed to them. Um, but holy shit, it might be like one of the best audio products I've ever listened to them talking about that is well worth it's definitely probably better than reading Journey into Darkness <laughs> I can tell you that but uh so anyway we're here Kane is here with Shane and the Stooges and we've 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 spent our time praising Kane do you know I, I think in previous times we've talked about you know our our our, our kind of love of Shane McMahon mm-hmm. a guy who I I'm kind of over older contemporary Shane McMahon but I was always fascinated by young Shane McMahon who was better than he ever should yeah. have been in matches and a guy who I think not. Yeah. I, I'm talking about Brian and Vinny again here now, but uh, Vinny V once said many years ago, there was a time in history, probably around now that I think about it, where if Shane had actually done proper training and committed to it, he probably could have been pretty good. He yeah. Yeah. But anyway, look, we'll make the obvious comparison compare Shane to David Fleur. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's yeah because we get some. We'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about David Flair later. Um, but so we praised Kane before, we praised Shane before, but let's just take a minute. I love the Stooges. Uh, I love them so yeah. fucking much. I miss Pat Patterson so much. Yeah. I I miss these two guys as a like as a double act. You know, I know the evening gown match is one of those that does get talked up as one of the worst all-time, you know, matches. But here's the thing with but, that. You know them two had fun doing that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, yes. I loved Jericho Briscoe, the hardcore champion, mm-hmm. when he snuck into the APA office and pin crash while he was asleep. Uh, yeah, I, I, God, they were so good. Them, like, as Vince's lackeys, as his stooges, was just a brilliant act. Every time he'd say um, Briscoe with his Mr. McMahon... <laughs> Mr. McMahon. Um and in the I had to pause because I was laughing so hard. We saw the sign on Kane's back which said, Of course, Briscoe Brothers Body Shop. Which also popped Lawler on commentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which makes me think it was definitely something different in the opening segment. Yeah. Um Shane announces that the match for tonight is a handicap match. It's Kane versus the Stooges, at which point Vince comes out and said he's reminding them that everyone associated with Shane's embarrassment on Raw will pay, and that includes the Stooges who failed to defend them. They attempt to bribe... I loved this. (laughs) So the bell rings, and they attempt to bribe him. I think... So Briscoe appears to be bribing him with money. Yep. And he knocks him over. And then Pat, if I'm... Correct me if I'm wrong, attempts to bribe him... First with cigarettes, which is great, especially with the, you know, the, his him being scared of fire. Great stuff. And I believe they only show it for a second, which makes me convinced that it absolutely is trying to bribe him with a single condom. Yes, he did. (laughs) And then I think he tries to bribe him with money as well. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Kane. I think he offers him a seat as well at one point. Yeah. Oh my god, yes, that's one of the best parts of this. So he just beats them up. I think Patterson bails out of the ring and he grabs a chair, puts it down, and offers him a seat, and Kane fucking punts the chair. <laughs> uh he chokeslams the pair of them. Then he nearly chokeslams 
uh, Shane until Vince interrupts and declares him the winner of the match. Um, next segment, uh, Dennis Knight back in the sex dungeon and the distantly you can hear the acolytes tell him it's time. Ominous. Um, next up, we have Al Snow covered in dried blood versus the Road Dog for the hardcore title. The, the, uh, I had forgotten that people are kind of into Al Snow. This is another Vince Russo trope of people don't wash themselves. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, You know, they say everybody's uh, writing is autobiographical, and I'll leave it at that. Um, one thing I did love about this, and there isn't much, is Al hiding behind the tarp under the Titantron. Mm-hmm. That was actually very yeah. clever. So he hides, he puts head on the ramp, and then he hides behind the tarp. Road Dog comes out, and he's doing his Road Dog bit, and then he just stops dead because he sees head, and then Al runs out and jumps him. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, this turns into generic hardcore division plunder match, and not a very good one at this. Uh, at that, should I say? Um, I put most of the blame on Road Dog here. Um, As you should. I don't think it's a controversial thing to say, Lee, but I'm going to say it anyway. Road Dog sucks. Oh yeah, the Road Dog has never been a good wrestler. Road Dog has never been a good wrestler. Road Dog was only ever just a series of incredibly tedious catchphrases that got disproportionately over to how lame he was as a person and let me just say the Outlaws music got a much bigger pop than the DX music did earlier in the night yeah wild wild and I remember I used to go nuts for the promo mm-hmm. as well and it's kind of like now we've all woken up from that period of history we're like what the fuck that's quite the term to say we've woken up yet yeah I know yeah Um. so yeah backstage yawn brawl outside into the snow which I thought alright that's at least a bit different that seems to be something they saw it was snowing and they're like oh it'll look different if we have a hardcore match out in the snow so that looked cool uh, and the finish is a pile driver through a wooden pallet to, to Al Snow and Road Dog wins um, Dennis Knight dragged out of the sex dungeon and through a magical medieval door Grant yeah whatever what do you think is uh, on the other was, side um I don't know, is like a and d game or something like that. I think it's another sex dungeon. It might be, yeah. Slightly bigger sex dungeon. <laughs> I think there's a cauldron in the middle this time. <laughs> it's an, it's, it's an air-conditioned sex dungeon. There's less dry ice in us. Uh, so we have Sean leaving the arena. Uh, he gets to his rental car and realizes Triple H gave him the wrong key. He knocks on the door to try to get it back. He hears someone go, hey, Sean, we cut to break. And when we return for the break, I can only describe it as Sean being splatted through a windshield. <laughs> Uh, Which is great. I, Shawn Michaels loves an angle where the camera cuts to him with his face in a car window. Okay, so because he you're, he does the, he does this during the Triple H yes, feud and says so you, as you're well. missing some of the context. Okay, so in the weeks prior, Shawn had fucked over DX more than a couple of times, so that when they came out with him this evening, it was like, oh, they're back on terms, blah blah blah. Um, so when Shawn's leaving, he says, "See us later." And Triple H murmurs, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And then you get X-Pac under his breath going, what goes around comes around. Yeah. And then you get the bit with the car keys and him getting laid out. Now, yeah. my problem with this is, one, RDX working with the corporation? Because they obviously we set know up. they up. Ul- yeah, and we know they ultimately do, but it's not for quite a while. Yeah, it's not till WrestleMania time. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and it's weird because, like, even though the the gimmick is, yeah, they're still acting buddy-buddy with Sean, they don't for one second, like, they don't go out to check on no. him. They're out 
because the main event is next and they're, they're out just, with the face like, again they're out yeah exactly um, um the other problem and i fucking hate that i think of it this way they never once bring this up in the triple h Shawn michaels feud in 2002 yeah it's like <laughs> it's the exact <laughs> same put, angle it's been put through a window twice this has happened before <laughs> <laughs> and it was organized by triple h both times yeah although i will say much better executed the second time yeah well i look i look i i will defend to the death that sean michaels run uh in 2002 it's one of my all-time favorite feuds like them from then straight through to pretty much uh the wrestlemania three-way mm-hmm. in 2004 like where they're kind of they're on and off feuding and like just beating each other to death all the time I, I maintain I'm like, one of the only people in the world that likes the last man stand a match at the Royal Rumble. I like it. I like it. I think I've come to appreciate the finish more with time. I was so pissed at the time because I love Sean. Um, but like, yeah, God, I could, I could, I could speak for so long about that 2002 feud with the two of them. I fucking loved it so much because this is a guy like so. I, I need to explain. So I'm like my fandom started with sean sean was my first favorite wrestler you know during this period of raw i'm not i don't have access to sky sports so i'm not seeing it as much like i'm seeing it whenever i can when i'm over with my cousins but sean was always my guy and i distinctly remember like when he came back in 2002 at that SummerSlam match and he was as good as he was mm-hmm. like it's one of the last times i remember having a genuine like tears in my eyes watching a match do you know i've had tears in my eyes when like guys have died but in terms of an actual wrestling angle or match making me emotional like sean returning and then sean winning the title in madison square garden that november are two of those moments where i don't think i felt like that again until god maybe punk won in 2011 yeah i i'd be similar i am obviously i'm a little bit older so i kind of i was aware sean a little go a bit earlier than you would have been but yeah like sean retiring and then coming back in 2002 was like a fucking huge thing for me i've said it before i'm still pissed that i was in new york when that show was going on and i couldn't be there survivor series no SummerSlam. oh my god i was i I was like less than two hours away from the arena and i couldn't be there if yeah. it, that summer oh god that summer slam was so great i've thought about doing that as like a special like mm. if we have a week where we just want to palette lens i thought we could like pick some classic pay-per-views we love or get them get the thunder buddies to, to vote pick, on yeah. a non-wcw pay-per-view and summer slam 2002 is right up um, there because like rock brock right after it yeah uh, ray angle in the opener there was a couple of year run there where like summer slam was fucking oh, great because yeah. 2000 had tlc t- tlc uh, 2001 had um, Austin, Austin Angle, Angle yeah. one of the great WWF title matches of all time, and I still insist the greatest DQ finish match mm-hmm. maybe of all time. Um, fuck yeah, man! <laughs> now I just want to go watch like some 2002 Sean. Yeah, no, and that's not a bad thing. I've said it. If, if that show had have been in, um the oh, what's it called is it the what's it the Izod Center it was called when it was torn down yeah, yeah. if it had yeah. been there if it had been in MSG I would have been yeah. there but the fact it was upstate New York yeah I I I also say like my last thing about this too Sean is like you know um there I can't remember what it was there was some argument this week I saw on Twitter about people going like what is and isn't over 
you know and like one of the metrics is obviously like how many tickets you move mm-hmm. and stuff like that but one of them is obviously like the the organic connection you have with the fans and honestly like everyone always says like the new york crowds are tough to please and will tell you if they don't like something very much go back to that elimination chamber and listen to the pop mm-hmm. when he super kicks triple h and pins because him because nobody expects is- it is one of the biggest pops I've ever heard in a WWF crowd. And they like they had already started to kill their crowds in 2002 a bit. Um, but anyway, look, let's move on because we could be here all night. Um, we do see the flashback that it was Bossman and the boys that were responsible. And, you know, just shout out very quickly because we don't see him uh, really much on this show. But uh, I think we can say we're both big fans of the big boss man. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we, yeah. We've mentioned him and- before. Yeah, yeah. And particularly this period of, like, notorious bollocks, the big boss man. <laughs> Just in everybody's business at this point. Just the worst. Like, you know, we are only, we are mere months away from him uh, driving off with the big show's dead is And I was just going to say, if you don't think we're covering that, we are. Oh, oh my God. All timer. <laughs> right. Anyway, main event time. Thank fucking God, because this has been an interminable show. Uh, Mankind versus The Rock for the WWF title DX are out in Mick's corner In spite of the fact that Shawn Michaels is still being Peeled out of his own windshield uh, The Rock is out with the corporation uh, Rock straight on Mick Early pummeling him He, uh, It's safe to say uh, Lee, Rock pulverizes Mankind with the steel steps Yeah um, Everyone talks about the Royal Rumble match And rightfully so and Deservedly so The Rock absolutely batters Mick Foley in this match yeah The Rock so The Rock is one of those guys that like I'm sure Mick Foley tells everyone to lay it in and The Rock is one of those guys that took him quite Uh literally like I I was thinking no way Rock was this heavy handed with Austin because he wouldn't have got away with it no no but Um, yeah every time he seems to be in the ring with Mick he fucking murders him yeah yeah, he does. Like, I wonder, does, like, Mick Foley may have had more hazardous matches to his health with The Rock than he ever did with Terry Funk? Uh, do you know what? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, short of, the only one I can think of that he definitely had more lasting uh, consequences of, apart from Hell in a Cell, is, like, Vader when he tore his actual <laughs> ear off, off the ring ropes. Like, that's the only one I could think of that would be ahead of The Rock on the list. But anyway, yeah, he's pummeling uh, Mick here. Uh, both men do the uh, play-by-play of themselves uh, on the commentary bit, which is great. Um, I always love it when The Rock does it. Um, Mankind gets bonked oh, with the ring bell. Fucking talk about <laughs> Fucking straight shot. Doesn't protect him at all. And you don't even get time for that to settle in because he immediately also gets attacked with Cole's desk fan. <laughs> Uh, he then eats a rock bottom through the announce table with all the shit still on the announce table, monitors and everything. How can you not feel bad for this man? Honestly, like... Yeah, yeah. How could he not be the biggest baby face in the world? Back in the ring, all rock still. Mankind briefly fights back, but the rock rallies and hits a corporate elbow. Mankind kicks out of it. Mankind hits a spinning neckbreaker, which, as you know, Lee, spinning neckbreaker, one of my favorite moves in wrestling. Uh, this was a particularly scintillating one. Uh, the belt gets thrown in. Bossman grabs Foley's leg to distract him. Rock clocks him with the belt. Another kick out. Massive pop this time for the kick out. Uh, Mankind with the double arm DDT on the belt. 
kick out again. He takes out Socko. Jerry Lawler disgusted at the sight of Socko. Uh, He catches Rock. Rock starts fading in the mandible claw. Then Shamrock in with the chair. You want to talk about somebody who lays in the chair. Uh, Then in comes Billy Gunn. All hell breaks loose. And almost as iconic as Mick Foley winning a few seconds from now. You want to talk about all-time pops. The, when the glass yeah, breaks. There's, there's two Austin pops that stand out in my mind, and they're both interference pops, and it's this one yeah. and yeah. Backlash 2000. Oh, so I have a third one, and that's the go-home show for Invasion. Oh, sorry, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's right yeah. there with them, yeah. yeah. So the three of them, I yeah. still, like, so I love this pop, I love the Backlash pop, but for me... The Invasion Week one is the one that still gives me chills. Which is which it, is funny because you see him in the backstage area for a good two yeah. minutes before. But that's what's so great is they build it so well and the crowd are foaming yeah. by Feverish, the time that yeah. the, the yeah. glass hits. And it's also the Disturbed music, I think. No, uh, it's not. It's not the stage, Disturbed, it? it's the other one. It's the kind of fast oh, one. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. it, yeah. But holy shit, when he comes out that time, and I was like, it, it, that's the, the peak of Jim Ross's career as well. Oh, he's walking, he's it's talking. It's the old Stone Cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> fuck. Man, I'm going to be watching some classic clips tonight after this show. I'll need the palate cleanser. But the glass breaks. The crowd, I, I cannot overstate this, the crowd lose their fucking minds. He absolutely plants rock with a chair that's a receipt for mick <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's a receipt and a half mankind pins him wins the wwf title stone gold flips off vince who is apoplectic oh, his, his faces at this point are just he, he, the veins in his head are exploding he throws his hat at vince who sells it uh, and then Michael Cole is like it's the one time crackly voice Michael Cole is perfect because he's so emotional at Mick mm-hmm. winning that it's actually perfect. I, I think Mick I, has said after this point he said like you know he always dream, he always heard Jr. in his head calling. Yeah. But he said like when he listened back he listened and he heard Cole call it and he said you know what it yeah. worked and he, it couldn't yeah. have been any I, better. Look, I think on like. Taking his career as an entirety, I think Michael Cole is tremendously mm-hmm. underrated oh, as a commentator. Is. For what he is, he is one of the greats. Because, like, you think about the conditions he has to work under. Do you know, he is the perfect WWF commentator mm-hmm. for what Vince wants him to do. And I think, like, I have always had a soft spot for the him and Taz yeah. period of SmackDown, where the two of them were just having mm-hmm. fun. And Taz also he until he joined AEW, Taz was one of the great underrated commentators yeah. as well. Um, I always used to love the like you know I hate the exploitative women segments they were doing around the time during the brand split, but I always loved the uh, when they'd go back and forth where they were just like, um, <laughs> where they were just like look at the ref, <laughs> you know where like the ref would be selling the uh, the attractive oh, women yeah, in yeah. the ring and you know to. Uh, Michael Cole would be like, look at Tori. And <laughs> Kataz would be like, look at Earl Hebner. <laughs> it's just fucking, just a pair of goofs. But yeah, uh, Lee, your thoughts on this moment. Mankind, this is Volley's baby boy winning the WWF title. However briefly, it's just a fantastic moment, isn't it? Seeing him do the victory lap with the belt, like, fills your heart. 
look, it, it's a, uh, I've said this, it's a dog shit show. Yeah. This is an all-time great moment, though, because to put it in context, they did need something to go up against Nitro. They did yeah. need something to go up against this huge Nitro and George Dome. Um, they'd been building and building and building with Mick. And then on a show that they never even promoted it, in the middle of the show, they said, right, in the main event, it's Mick Foley getting a title shot. Mm. And it just all... It all kind of worked perfectly on the night, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was taped, as we know. Yeah. The other side promoted it, as we know. And... Yeah, it's hard to look at it in any other way than to say it's a huge, huge moment in the history of Monday yeah. Night Television. Yeah. Now, like, WWF's version of history, you know, history mm-hmm. is written by the victors, would paint it a certain way that this is... And Mick Foley has kind of, like, worked himself into a shoot with the way he describes it, that this was the week that turned it, things it around. Yeah, like, the reality is Raw had been kicking Nitro's ass, as we have covered mm-hmm. on this show, for most of the year. Um, they would periodically do like um, they, the Georgia Dome episode of Nitro and things mm-hmm. like that would do very well for them but by and large by this point WWF were starting to almost irreversibly pull ahead already they had been neck and neck for a lot of later 1998 like they, yeah. the WWF was winning more than they had been yeah I, I think like it was the way it was was your average week Raw would mm. beat Nitro now but if Nitro stacked a show, they would still yeah. get a ratings win. But the streak, the 83 oh, was long was gone. Long yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, it's like you said earlier on in the show, people had such a connection to that upper main event level um, talent that, I mean, Foley getting his moment was such a huge thing for the fans. And yeah. it was treated so totally different to like Austin wins it and he just has the celebration in the ring with JR going crazy on the commentary to close the biggest show yeah. of the year. The Rock yeah. gets his moment and turns heel. Yeah. So Foley getting it and then doing this fucking Rocky celebration and running around the ring and, you know, going up on the shoulders of the baby faces. It's totally mm-hmm. different. And yeah. yet it fits so perfectly. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, I suppose we'll we'll move over to see what the the competition was doing. Move into our own home court, if you will, as we talk about uh, Nitro, and we will do so after this brief musical interlude from whatever the hell happened to be the U.S. number one this week. Who knows what it is? I haven't looked it up yet, but here we are for the musical interlude. Please be Bloodhound Gang. Hey everyone, Dave, live from the edit bay in the middle of the night here. Uh, turns out the song that was number one at this time, not great. So we're just going to replace that with a much better tune. Huh. Hulk Hogan, Hollywood officer, whatever they call you, I'm coming after you, you coward. I think it is. Oh, man, you set it off. Set it off. Used to be hard off, now you done turns off. Doing telephone commercials, I seen ya. Dancing and tight as a ballerina. I knew all along you had those tendencies. Cause you've been running from macho like I got a disease. Cause, like Rodney Dangerfield, you get some respect. So come- 
We're back and we're here to talk about Nitro 173. I'm not looking it up, Lee, until I'm in post-production, so I might really regret having done that. Um, this is this is Nitro 173, coming to you from the Georgia Dome, the same night, uh, January 4, 1999. Once again, uh, it's a three-hour program, as you mentioned at the top, and uh, the first hour is unopposed, so uh, worth noting that going into it. So, we begin with a dramatic video package <laughs> recounting the Nash Goldberg. Oh, he's just seen whatever it is. <laughs> good or bad? Oh, man. You just wait. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Can't wait. It's going to be a fun edit this week. Uh, we get a dramatic video package recounting the Nash Goldberg feud and uh, the lads on commentary explaining that we are locked in for the rematch tonight. Our uh, kickoff commentary on uh, Nitro is the usual Tony, Tanay and Larry with Brain coming in later. Uh, first Nitro Girl segment of the night, then leading into the commentators kind of giving us the state of play. There has been one Nitro uh, since Starcade, no thunders, and a, a lot has changed, Lee. We were pretty much playing catch-up for the first hour of this show. Uh, Ric Flair is now in charge, and Hogan is back in the building for the first time since he announced his retirement in October. Then we go to the Nitro Party Suite with the biggest dorks <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, listen, I would not go to a party with any of these people. No. So this was, um, you remember, we mentioned it on Nights of Nitro before, um, every week they were doing the, the Nitro Party Pack, who'd win the Nitro Party Pack to have a Nitro Party at home or in their dorm or wherever um, that might be attended by like Mean Gene or the Nitro Girls, blah, blah, blah. This guy who was here in his own skybox in the Georgia Dome was like the grand prize winner of the Nitro Party, whatever. Um yeah, not only were they dorks, but they were the drunkest men on earth. Um, and I loved how the interviewer here was like, said something like, could I say hello to any of the men or any of the ladies? There were no ladies. No, there they really weren't. I, I, I looked to see, because uh, I was like, there's no way to... There's no way did any like wives or girlfriends come along with this crew of absolute idiots to be immortalized on national television. And we should say, I'm you know in my mid-30s. These men were yeah. all older than I am. Yeah, yeah. They were all, like, I think the youngest of them might have been late 30s. Either that or it was some very hard-living mid-30s guys. And for some reason, the guy, the winner, whoever is Howard something, just kept shouting about his nephew in Chicago. Yeah. He definitely wanted his nephew in Chicago to know he was there. Uh, our opening contest on Nitro is the Titanic struggle between Glacier. See, Titanic struggle with Glacier. See what I did there? Uh, versus Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart. Lord save us. humorous play on words you did there, Dave. Yeah, oi oi. Uh, the lads mentioned during the entrances that there was a sighting of the Macho Man uh, in what went down last week with Ric Flair gaining control of the company. So Macho is back after his knee injury. Um, 
Glacier roughing up uh, Humorous with strikes early. And I had a revelation. So uh, Humorous has his head completely shaved down now, but he still has the kind of like chin strap goatee situation going on. And oh my God, he looked like Brodus Clay. I didn't notice, but now I'll probably never yeah. see it. Oh, uh, yeah. Like when he grows his hair out again, it won't be as noticeable. When he's huge erection next year, it won't be as noticeable. But uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, he looks like a mini bro to slay here. Um, he accident. This is like, oh my God, this finish was weird. So Humorous accidentally takes out Jimmy Hart, which then leads to him winning. So, like, normally you take out your manager and you're like, oh, no, and the baby face then attacks you and wins. But it's like, he attacks Jimmy Hart and then quite easily regains control with Glacier and hits his moonsault and wins Well, I match. want to say Humorous was the baby face here. Yeah? Maybe. It's hard to tell. Ah, uh, who knows? Yeah, I suppose they tried rebooting the Blood Runs Cold shit a couple of weeks ago, so Glacier is a heel now, isn't he? Because he's with... He's, uh, he's aligned with, with the cat, the cat and Sonny Ono and... Yeah, yeah. Who neither of whom appear on this show. Thank God. They're firmly a thunder yeah, act now God. at this point. I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but hey, he does that nice looking moonsault. Yeah. Um, flashback to last week of Eric Bischoff gloating and Rick getting naked because he was so angry. One of the the famous Ric Flair stripping promos. Uh, he wanted a rematch. He'd put his career, his house, uh, oh, oh, and then yeah. his career again and his money on the line. Um, I loved as well the via satellite interview with a doctor popping up here in the video package saying that Flair was poisoned. It wasn't a heart attack. You um, were wrong, Dave. Yeah, I know. Eric was incensed. Uh, later, Eric tries to flee uh, the match. The horsemen were waiting in his limo, though, carry him back out. The giant comes out in the middle of the match, headbutts Flair. Then Savage in full, like, the era of Randy Savage sartorially that we're speaking of is very much the Be A Man Hulk Mm -hmm. era of Randy Savage in terms of, like, tight black t-shirt, the slicked back into the ponytail, what remains of his hair, and he has his new valet with him, yeah, who would later be identified as Gorgeous George, who I believe in the flashback was identified as, who is that with him? This, Um, This is the era of Macho Man where I look at him and can't help but hear his music in my head. Yeah, um, he low blows the giant. It looks like he's gonna help uh, Eric, but then low blows the giant. Flair gets him in the figure four, taps him out, and then I popped big for then after his victory, Flair then also pinning Eric just to make it very clear. <laughs> he made him tap, and he pinned him in the same night. Yeah, yeah, and then we get the Nitro opening video package. Seventeen <laughs> minutes having, into like, the show, after having like three segments and a match brilliant uh flair urn and family are here in what is definitely a takeoff of a presidential inauguration they're really high on the like presidential parodies in wc i think that had to have been a thing in america at the time that everybody was still yeah well this was coming into an election year so november 99 was the uh the the wasn't it november 99 was the gore bush yes it was yes 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 or 2000, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so we're starting to... This would be the year of the primaries mm-hmm. then. So it probably is playing on people's minds because obviously Hogan is doing his run for nomination for the presidency as well. Uh, 
So first thing he does is insist Bischoff comes out to speak with him. Uh, Rick lords it over Eric uh, and how many times he has been humbled by Bischoff for many years. Flair says that now Bischoff doesn't work for him. He works for Tony at the booth, which I yeah. loved. Especially like Tony was like, ha ha ha. Uh, next, he calls out Randy Anderson, who had been fired last year. Uh, this is the referee who had cancer, who sadly would pass no, away. No, no, that was, uh, that was um, Mark Quarters that passed away. No, he no Randy Anderson. Oh, did he? Well. Oh shit, I didn't yeah, know. He passed away in two thousand and two from stomach oh, fuck. cancer. Oh shit, didn't know. Yeah, so he did. He did legitimately have cancer and had taken time off for for Jesus, treatment. So they had uh, his testicular they had cancer. Two referees yeah. that had cancer. Yeah. So because he needed time off, they had worked it into an angle where, you know, he mentions that he has cancer and can't, like, use, uh, referee and Bischoff yeah. fires him. Yeah, I, including, like, uh, Eric cutting a promo on his kids saying, tell your dad he's fired. Which <laughs> is like, Jesus Christ, Eric. Um, so, Actually, uh, speaking Flair, of kids, you never mentioned that uh, a young future champion is in the ring. Yeah, but enough about David Flair. Charlotte was there she as was. well. That's the... Yeah, yeah, a young Ashley. Um, yeah. So this was like I was looking it up. It was like uh, Reed was like ten. She was like thirteen or fourteen. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, because it was just like she, like she always like she looks like because she was so tall yeah. for her age. She always looked pretty much the exact same. That's what I mean. Like she, like she, she looked like WCW. She didn't look much different yeah. to when she started in NXT. Yeah, and because she's wearing, like, you got to remember, Winter like, coats, they're all wearing yeah. the inauguration day clothes of, like, the long yeah. jackets. Like, they're all looking very grown up. The only thing that tips you off that Reed is 10 is that he's got the, the, the bowl base yeah. and haircut on him. Oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, uh, Randy Anderson is hired on double the salary uh, than, uh, because good guy Rick is here. Um, He thanks DDP, Shivani, and others who helped fight the fight. Uh, and even Randy Savage, who he hasn't seen eye to eye with, but helped him out a lot last week. He says that it's sold out in two weeks. He's going to be in one of those, what do we call those gimmick matches, Aaron? <laughs> and Aaron goes, a handicap match, Rick. He says, so yeah, uh, sold out, which is in two weeks. He will be in a handicap match against Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham. David volunteers to be in, involved as his partner. Rick kind of laughs it off and says, no, son. But Aaron says, look, kid knows what he's doing. So he accepts. So it's Aaron's so, fault. Here we are, Lee. Yeah, here we are, Lee. Happy New Year. David Flair is, a thing. is wrestling yeah. now. Yeah. And he will be a thing for the majority of the rest of our run on the podcast. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. Here we are. Um, then we have a brief clip of Tony and Larry with a very sad, sad Eric slumped in his chair beside him like a bell child. I love, like, I didn't mention there. I, I love that Flair says he now works for Shivani. Because yeah. the whole thing is that Eric got the job when everyone expected Shivani to get it. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. It's it's like one of those inside baseball things that actually works mm-hmm. for me. Um. Next up, we have Booker T versus a large man already in I ring. I think they say this, his name is Henry Hill. Henry Hill. Uh, yeah, Henry Hale or Henry Hill, one or the other. Uh, who attempts to get the best of Booker at the bell, but Booker fires up very quickly. Uh, it's a spinner-rooney, Harlem sidekick, missile dropkick for the win. Goodbye, Henry. Uh, Nitro Girl segment number two. Um, there's a lot. Then th- we have. There's a lot of Nitro Girls on the show. There's a lot of Nitro Girls. Um, next up, we have Norman Smiley versus Chavo, 
And I want to say that during these entrances, we have the best moment of the entire night on either Raw or SmackDown. Did you catch it? I don't have anything written down. So Tony starts feeling his oats a little bit during one of these entrances, and he just goes... He's like, uh, is there anything you want to say, Eric? And it's like, it's okay. You might be a bit rusty. You haven't done this in a while. You'll get used to it. Do you know, there's a lot to get used to, particularly the annoying sound of producers in your ear trying to tell you what you're supposed to say. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I did. How long, how long has Tony Schiavone kept that inside bottled yeah. up? And now he finally says it. I can imagine the side I wish I gave him. I'd say... Larry fell out of his chair when he said that. Oh my god! Um, in this match, which again doesn't last very longly, you can tell that uh, Norman Smiley is on a different planet mm-hmm. in terms of skills here, relative to Chavo. He looks sharp. He looks crisp. He looks quick. And already, Lee, a month into him doing it properly, the wiggle the is big over. wiggle. It has its name, and it is over. Yeah. yeah. Chavo not over by comparison. Uh, they didn't give a fuck. He, he's still getting a reaction, and he def. It's very mutedly like in a forty thousand seater building. Yeah, listen, I'm not saying he's fucking Goldberg, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. he ha he definitely has an off night with Chavo. Yeah. Oh, sorry. We should refer to him as uh, Alan Forel's favorite wrestler, Chavo Guerrero. At this point, did you see his? Uh, did you not see Alan having a meltdown when Chavo po- no. showed up on Dynamite? Oh my god, he was like, he started tweeting all caps, like, "Get this carny fuck off my TV." He <laughs> 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 oh, absolutely every so often like so i know a lot of people uh who listen to the podcast will be familiar with alan forel on twitter please give him a follow he's one of the greatest men that ever lived um but the great thing about alan is alan is so positive about all things wrestling and doesn't really like often, he doesn't err the like, things he doesn't get like the shovel yeah. out yeah he keeps it to himself if he doesn't like something a lot of the time but periodically something really and it's such random stuff will really get him like i remember his whole thing about how much he hated bobby Roode for a while that was one of that my was around favorites. the, DN- the nxt house show wasn't it yeah it was it was when he was doing like house yeah. show triple h matches bobby Roode, he just hated him and yeah this one like chavo just showing up as uh andrade's uh consultant like just he lost it. He lost it. I loved it. I'll have to go um, back through the timeline and find that. Oh, it's so good. Um, so yeah, he Norman Smiley wiggles too long and gets drop kicked for his troubles. Chavo, oh my god. So this again, this is where I thought of the different planets skill wise. So Chavo attempts a springboard, absolutely fucks it up. Then he attempts a slingshot, double fucks and he it up. He panics, tries to do a roll-up, which is the finish. Um, Norman's like, nah, we're getting yeah. up again. So they have a scrap for a couple of seconds. They do the roll-up again, and Chavo wins. And then Norman, for the fans at home, destroys Chavo after the bell. Yeah, I think he lays him out with a brain buster and fucking just... Yeah, it, it was a mess of a match. Yeah. Um. Next up, Benoit versus Horace. Uh, I don't even remember what he was wearing in this, but this is what I wrote, Lee. Horace is some fucking age at the state of him. Uh, so I don't know if that was a general comment or he just looked particularly stupid this evening. I think he just had his, uh, oh, excuse me, his end of the O single. I don't think he had anything in particularly bad. 
Yeah. So the, he's just genuinely. Oh, he's awful. Like, he, he is a really bad professional wrestler. Yeah, so quick flurry from Horace early, but then we get the series of German suplex. Horace gets hung over the ropes, gets chopped to bits. And um, the best part of this match is that yeah. Bischoff, we should we haven't mentioned Bischoff is on commentary, will not say a word. Yeah. Refuses to interact yeah. with the two lads. Yeah. And at this point, um it's around now Tony is saying, Listen, if you don't start feeding back to us, you know, when I throw to you, I'm gonna have to yeah. write a bad report about you. <laughs> And uh, Larry pipes up with, make him do the internationals. <laughs> <laughs> to which Shivani starts laughing and goes, yeah, we'll put you with Hudson. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. There's another line later on during the tag match. Remind me to uh, say that there's a Heenan. I know the one you're talking about. To, yeah. To Bischoff. yeah. Um, so my highlight of the match, apart from Horace trying to do a suicide dive and nearly killing both of them as Benoit's back goes straight into the corner of the barricades, the best moment of this match is when I noticed a sign from the only Scott Putsky fan on earth. A sign that says Putsky Was it Scott Putsky? On the hard cam. Oh, it might have been. It might have been. Or a friend of his. Um, big ass superplex from Benoit. Diving headbutt. Selling the head as usual. Momentary struggle. Crossface. Win. Nothing to write home mm-hmm. about. Um, Goldberg backstage and the 5-0 have an arrest warrant for him. He's resisting at first and keeps talking to like a cop that he knows. He keeps referring to by name as Jack. Uh, come on, Jack. You know me. You know me. I think me. he refers to them all um, by name, which is extremely strange. Yeah. Yeah. He the, the worst part about this, Lee, I get the point of the segment, but it went on for Way too fucking long, ever. Yeah. Way too long. Uh, cops drive off with him in what was definitely not a cop car. It was just some lad's some car. Rental, yeah. Yeah, some rental car, and not even a good one. Uh, Nash runs out after him, enraged, and Hogan is there walking into the building, laughing away, and then you see Elizabeth speaking with a couple of gumshoes as well. Um, Yeah, more on this as the night goes on, unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Jericho with Ralphus versus Saturn. Until, I re- until this turned out to be a very short match, I was like, oh, deadly. Um, this will be a nice reprieve. Uh, so I just sat back and I was drinking this in for the couple of minutes it lasted there was a lovely belly to belly suplex from Saturn in here but then unfortunately there's shenanigans ref gets bumped by Saturn accidentally uh, uh, there's like a was it a low blow punt from Jericho mm-hmm. uh, lion salt walls of Jericho but as the ref gets up uh, he rings the bell Jericho deemed to win by DQ and I loved as they were bailing out in something that would be alluded to later on uh, Jericho says that is an excellent pro wrestling referee. <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, it's all being set up for something down the road. Yeah, Goldberg in what is definitely not a police station. Yeah, so let let's talk about this. They they yeah. this by the way this by the way and uh, this in no small part uh, thanks to one Paul Sebastian, a co-host of Boom Goes the Dynamite. I couldn't get out of my head that this was like a Trailer Park Boys skit because he put Trailer Park Boys in my head with a screenshot this week that was one of my favorite tweets at ages, which was, uh, yeah, you just look it up on, okay. on his timeline. It was incredible um, if you're a Trailer Park Boys fan. But this was like so shoddy and such like, no, it was actually bad improv in this, whereas Trailer Park Boys is like deliberately bad. Yeah. Like bad improv sometimes. 
um, this was a shambles between like how it was at the police station and Goldberg's creaky chair <laughs> every time he moved or spoke. Yes, so as they're pulling, as they arrest Goldberg and they pull away, they say, oh, they're bringing him down to the station. And I think they even say the term downtown. Yeah. And then they come back and they're at the police station and they say, oh, it's only across the street at center stage. Worth remembering this for later as well. Yeah, so they say, they literally say the term across the street at center stage. And if you actually look through the doors or coming through it, you can kind of see the yeah. arena. Like it's literally across the car so park. So when they walk into the police station, it's very obviously a reception desk. Yes. And then they go to the cells or rooms and it's quite yeah. literally an office. Yeah. Just a standard, like maybe it was like, yeah, just like an admin yeah. office. It is not by any stretch of the reasonable imagination an interrogation yeah. room. It's just absolutely like, could they not shoot this earlier in the day in an actual police station? Especially because they're in Atlanta Goldberg's from Atlanta. He played football in Atlanta. He's got to have connections to I'm get in. Pretty to film sure in an actual Doug Dillinger station. was in an Atlanta cop at some stage before he became yeah, head of yeah. security. There, there's got to be a connection there, or you know, anything, anything about this. But anyway, uh, this is where it's revealed that the thing he's been arrested for is aggravated stalking, reported by Elizabeth. Uh, but it's brilliant because they use her full name at first, and Goldberg's like, "Who the hell is that? What am I?" Uh, his fr- <laughs> Yeah, his his cop buddy Jack just kind of goes, um, Miss Elizabeth. I love the idea that they name her Elizabeth. Elizabeth, and I can't who what the surname is. I think I really name. Yeah, so so they they mention her surname, and I love that Goldberg, who knows that there is somebody associated with the NWO whose name is Elizabeth. He's like, I don't know who that person is. Who in this company? Who could I know that's possibly named Elizabeth? <laughs> Elizabeth what <laughs> actually I'm just thinking of this at the time in the 90s most football stadiums in England had holding cells surely yeah, American England. stadiums or arenas had something similar they they do because I remember in the Super Bowl episode of the Simpsons there's like oh, a the scene that's cell. in yeah, the that's Super right, Bowl yeah. jail yeah yeah so like it is a thing that's established surely the Georgia anyway. Dome had one yeah then we get a, a Nitro uh, Girls calendar ad. Then more uh, Nitro 15 Girls. 15-month Nitro Girls calendar. Yes, yes, to lead you into the new millennium with the <laughs> Nitro Girls. Um, Then we go back to the dorks, and they're doing a thumb war. And I wrote, what the fucking shite is this? One man, <laughs> I love, so this is the, inter- the interviewer is asking the drunkest men in the world questions, and they are not answering the questions they're being asked. Because uh, he goes, what was your favorite part of the show so far? And one guy goes, free Goldberg. (laughs) And then he goes, what was your favorite part of the show? And then he goes, when Goldberg went to jail, he goes, you liked that? When Goldberg went to jail, he goes, yeah, keep him there. (laughs) And then they all start chatting jailbreak. The one thing I could think of is, remember, um, we're doing the itchy and scratchy testing. And uh, Nelson oh, Rob, yeah. the focus yeah, group. and the focus group, and he's like, and that one kid really loved loved the guy in spandex. <laughs> yeah, these these all reminded me of like forty year old versions of the kid is like the British bulldog is gonna win, wants whether to or he not. wants yeah. to or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
This is like those that 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 kid, but all forty-year-old men who just do not understand a simple question. Then the fakest cops in the world interview Liz. We really this was a situation that required Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Um, yeah, th- this wasn't exactly CSI Miami, was it? No, it, oh, I'll tell you what, if we could have got David Caruso in there, fuck me, this would have been a great show. Um, I, I, I love that she she's says, getting interrogated by the one the one guy, and the second detective walks in, he goes, this is my partner. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> like, fucking obviously, man. <laughs> These are, by the way, these are the worst. It's like some, apart from Mike Tanay, the worst detectives I've ever seen. Because, so immediately when she's talking about, oh, he's at the airports, he's at the hotels, he's at the gyms I go to. Like, uh, the penny drop with me like, mm-hmm. immediately. And presumably the majority of people listening home is like, yeah, like, you work for the same company. A pro wrestling mm-hmm. company. You're going to be booked on the same flights. You're going to be booked in the same hotel. Chances are you're all going to be in the same gym. And it took these detectives over an hour of television time for this to, to drop, penny yeah. to drop. Fucking hell. Yeah. Anyway, um, we get the greatest <laughs> video package I had to text you about. In this, the middle of the night, I should add. It, uh, yeah, about two in the morning, I text you that we may have witnessed the greatest video package in the history of professional wrestling. And this was just a segment, Lee, of just bros being dudes. This is the the LWO house party hosted by Eddie Guerrero. Fucking hell, this is incredible. Yep, this is quite a party. This is very literally 2002 or 2003 Eddie Guerrero on WCW. This is so good. They should have done these every fucking week with this guy. Like, this was, you see some of his personality in his in-ring promos and his backstage promos in WCW, but holy shit, this guy jumps off the screen with charisma mm-hmm. in this. Like, it's so fucking good. They're outside their, like, palatial LWO It's a villa, it has to be. And he's, it's a villa. He's there with the lowriders and with the mamacitas, as mm-hmm. he says himself. And I already wrote, yeah, this is it- great. Because he's getting you to, he's getting the camera to point at the lowriders bouncing and asking them to bounce, and he's like, "Oh, you let the mamacitas out of the car. We'll all go inside." And then he turns to El Dandy and he's like, "You park the cars." Yeah, which which is again sets the scene for everything to come over the next couple of minutes. Yeah. Then they cut to them indoor partying, and I'm already fucking losing my life laughing at this before the camera pans to. La Parca in street clothes with the mask, with the mask on, yeah. boogieing with two ladies, one either side of him, fucking loving life. Eddie then, so the, like the theme of this video is that like, it's all for the LWO, but it's actually mm-hmm. all for Eddie. So Eddie keeps coming in and ruining their buzz and ruining their nights. The peak of it for me is when, so it cuts to a scene where all the LWO guys are on the couch by themselves and they're all looking slightly annoyed. The camera pans slowly to the right and Eddie is on a normal-sized couch with about 15 women. And Spider, who we now know his name (laughs) is Spider. Spider. He's having a fucking great night. And Eddie says he's on top of the Latino world. 
Then it cuts to the LWO guys playing cards and any interrupts. And he says that he he all he asks for is gratitude and and a soda. And then he starts asking him, do you want a soda? And then instructs uh, El Dandy to go get him some sodas. And then he takes someone's cards yeah, take, off. Takes and over the card game. And he gets yeah. a, a full house. Um. Then it's outside and he's cutting a promo with like all the Malasitas dancing around him and all the LWO guys who, even though he's ruined their night, he's still able to rile them still up. Still chanting LWO, yeah. Yeah, saying LWO is not just about Latinos, it's about the whole world. And oh my God, this ruled. And it was killed, and it was killed off shortly after this. I'm tweeting this from the account tonight as we record this. Like, uh, I didn't want to tweet it as soon as I saw it because mm-hmm. you hadn't seen it yet. What did you I think of it. this? Uh, it, it's just, like I said, this is peak Eddie that we didn't yeah. get to see until much later in WWF. Out of yeah. WWE. Like, we're, but, oh, God, it's so good. If you want to go look it up, so I'm going to post the, the version on YouTube is fairly low resolution, but it's almost exactly the halfway point mm-hmm. of this show if you want to look it up. It's like three oh, minutes it just long. Keeps going. But in, yeah. in a way that I wanted to keep going. If this was the whole rest of the show, I'd be cool with it. Um, I really want like an Eddie Guerrero episode of Cribs <laughs> around this time. Like it would have been amazing. Um, uh. So now we have Bobby Heenan back on comms for the last part of Nitro. Uh, and our tag team match that has Kidman and Ray versus Sikosis and Hoovy. Of course, Sikosis and Hoovy, firmly LWO. Kidman and Ray are developing this friendship out of a mutual hatred of the LWO. Um, Hoovy addresses Eddie through the camera and says, you know, uh, I've got this, Eddie, don't worry. Um, but he very quickly doesn't have this. And Ray, as Ray and Kidman just run rings around him and do a really cool assisted sit-out powerbomb where, like, Ray hoofs him mm-hmm. up onto Kidman's shoulders. He does the sit-out power on. That's cool. It's around now um, that the other great line of uh, burying Eric happens where uh, <laughs> very deadpan Bobby Heenan goes, has anybody seen? Because they're, they're trying to get Eric to talk and he won't. And uh, Heenan turns to Tony and just says, has anybody seen Ernest Miller around here? And they're like, no, why? And he goes, because the cat's got his tongue. And Tony's just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'm more surprised that Bobby knew Ernest Miller's name. Yeah, I know. He probably had it written down. Um, Hoovy nearly gets an opening, but gets dragged over the top and out. Hoovy hits springboard drop kick to the back of Ray's head. Psychosis gives him the, the leg drop to the floor. Gets me every time. Uh, moving a, <laughs> yeah, moving a million, his poor arse, a million miles an hour. Impossible to keep up with it. I enjoyed uh, Hoovy hitting the Hoovy driver and then shouting, I got yeah. it. A Hoovy driver out of a moonsault press. Ray goes from moonsault yeah. and Hoovy just catches him into the Hoovy driver. Love Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Uh, the finish I liked as well. Hoovy gets Ray in a German position. Kidman goes up on the top rope to do the dropkick to save him. But as he's in midair, Ray executes a standing mm-hmm. switch, which puts him in the path of the dropkick. Uh, so his dropkick hits Ray. Sikosis hits Ray then with the guillotine leg drop that he was ready to deliver. And Hoovy takes Kidman out of the ring and the LWO win. Clever yeah, finish. it was good. Really good. To, to, uh, the best match mm-hmm. in the show. Really enjoyable. Um, now we have Bill chatting with his buddy Jack the cop uh 
Goldberg points out what you and I immediately noticed and most people at home he's like the company books us all in the same hotels and I own the gym that she's a member of so of course I'm there so stalking is a ridiculous charge and he goes we're going to check it out so the cops are finally cottoning on here slowly but surely by the way this is just the beat cop Jack that has copped onto it the detectives who are supposed to be running the show here still don't know I mean it's okay they're Um, only across the street so they can just meet each other in the middle of the road hmm uh, mean Gene is now on the ramp with Big Kev. He says, as far as he's concerned, Goldberg got screwed at Starcade. He says Hogan is behind these trumped-up charges against Goldberg. He pleads with Flair to give him Hogan tonight. The crowd cheers for that. Flair comes out, shakes Nash's hand, makes the match official. Then we get a repeat of the Starcade video package again, complete with operatic music. Uh, Liz is now with another gumshoe, and he's checking her story. Says Goldberg was wearing red tights. Uh, she gets exasperated because she's starting to figure that they're doubting her story. But this is not even the last segment with the cops. Back with Mean Gene again, and he's calling Hulk Hogan out. Uh, big boo. He said, uh, so Gene goes, one of the most popular wrestlers in the world, Hollywood Hogan. Boo! Yeah. And Heenan, never to miss an opportunity, goes, yeah, boy, does he sound popular. Um Normally, the dubs on the network are very good at overdubbing the licensed mm-hmm. music, but my God, have you never been able to hear Voodoo Child more yeah. clearly? Even I was watching with Connor this morning, and he was like, why is there another song playing over? And I had to explain. I was like, no, they play the NWO yeah. music over Voodoo Child. He's like, oh, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that answers the question for you, because I think you said it a while ago. Like you couldn't remember mm-hmm. the exact time where he starts using Voodoo Child again. So I think it was sometime are. in 98 he started using it again, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely in there now. Um, so, yeah, uh, where am I here? Yeah, um, he promised uh, to say goodbye to his fans tonight and to announce his vice presidential running mate, but he witnessed, and I quote, sexual deviant Bill Goldberg. Uh, He said Nash has been saying he's too afraid to face him, which isn't true. Hogan said he's watched all the Wolfpack huff and puff and he owes his fans a retirement match. And after tonight, you can call him Hollywood the Big Bad Wolf, which was I'm surprised you missed the best line of Hogan's promo. Go on. Where he calls Nash that lucky big spoon Kevin Nash. Yeah, yeah, he hits the spoon one one more time. And as Hogan leaves the ring, we get the most infamous commentary call of this mm-hmm. whole night. Where Tony says that things are changing on the fly here on Nitro, and that's because we're live, and you won't get that over on the other channel. He says, if you're thinking of changing the channel, don't, because as they understand it, Mick Foley, who once wrestled here as Cactus Jack, is going to win their world title. Ending with the infamous line, uh, that's going to put some butts in seats. Now, like time has shown us that obviously Tony was fed mm-hmm. that line. He profusely apologized to Mick that night. I, th- I think he, he made a call on Or no, Foley called him because he was yeah. upset by it and just said like, why did you? And Tony was so apologetic to him. Um, and, you know, they've mended their beef and stuff like that. I think it's understood that like he's not going to refuse to say something. I think something he even said it in his first to. book. I think he said like him, him and Tony hashed it out like pretty quickly. Yeah. Um so it's iconic and the way it's been mythologized is that 
this was the moment that the war changed. What, what's now, the figure they say? 600,000 people or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's not 600,000, but there was, like, even Meltzer at the time, there was definitely a shift. Mm-hmm. People did change no, I, I mean, that's the, the figure that WWE yeah. will tell you. Yeah, yeah. People did definitely change over. The thing that I hadn't thought about as much until I watched these two shows in their entirety was the fucking gall of this company to go, oh, you won't believe what's happening over there with the horse shit they had laid on for mm-hmm. us to watch in the main event. I just like, so you're going to make us stick here. Like, it actually would have been better for WCW's long-term survival if everybody had tuned out and never seen what happens in the main event of yep. this show. Because, holy shit, is this a damaging hour of program for the remainder of this company's and history. Like, we discussed it when we were talking about Raw. Mick Foley is more over than... 95% of everybody in WCW. Everybody except like Goldberg and the Wolfpack yeah. at this point. Um, It's ridiculous. Such a, like, my God, did they shoot themselves in the foot here. Like, I, I had always thought it was dumb, like from the moment that even the WWE mythologized version points out how dumb mm-hmm. it was. But when you think about the, the difference in the two main events... You know, like, fuck, like, it's such a, the only way, and I would never, if I was running a wrestling company, ever do a, like, force a line like that out of my commentators, but the only way I'd feel confident enough to feed that line to my commentator is if I had an absolute home run plan. If it was the Goldberg-Hogan main event, I'd be like, yeah. David Hapeshaw, we can give it away. Nobody's changing here. Yeah. Or, or if this was the night, you know, low a year plus ago where Sting mm-hmm. returned to confront Hogan. Like, if something huge and good was in the main event. But there's, like, you have to be the exact level of stupid they are to think that that main event was going to go in a way that would work well for them. And here's the thing. This is probably... I'd have to check, but this is probably the first one-on-one meeting of Nash and Hogan. And they never, yeah, they never treat it as such. Because Nash came in and they immediately mm-hmm. joined up together. And I don't remember, like, because they split off around the time we started the show. And, and, mean, um, and Hogan wasn't wrestling for free. They, yeah, unless they TV. did a Nitro main event that went a minute and a half. Which they never yeah, yeah. mentioned on Thunder. Yeah. Possibly. Anyway, just fucking. Then we get, uh, after this, we get context from the Jericho situation earlier, and it's footage rescued from earlier today. And I love this. Like, it's such a dumb trope of wrestling where it's like eavesdropping mm-hmm. on a conversation, even though the camera is clearly like right in front of the two men. And it's Jericho giving the ref from his match an encouraging talk, saying, Oh, you've had these troubles with Saturn recently. Do you know what I think you should do? The first time Saturn touches you, you should DQ him. So it explains why it's after happening. And you know what? I will say, Lee, as dumb as an angle that was, give me more Jericho and yeah. Saturn. Absolutely happy with that. Um, next match, TV champion Scott Steiner uh, with Buff Bagwell versus Conan. Um Scott cuts a promo at first saying all these women's are all, all these, these women's women, all these women <laughs> all these women's all the women are tripping at the hottest body in professional sports he wonders uh, who is sick of their fat gas guzzling men because he'll take them to love land they just need to take them by the hand and he'll take them to love land 
He says, since he, since they burned Mark Maguire's hat, which is something that we have oh. not seen before, I assume this, if this wasn't last week on the week there wasn't a thunder, it is really stupid that they haven't yeah. shown this. Um, so since they burned uh, Mark Maguire's hat, WCW has been trying to censor him, but now that he has the belt, they can't do that. Uh, Bagwell does mocking a fake heart attack from his dance. Um, Steiner says after he beats Conan, he's coming out into the crowd to fight people. Uh, Conan comes out. Thanks to the numbers game, the first couple of minutes are all a beatdown from Scott. Uh, Conan gets sat up on the turnbuckle but fights him back with a tornado DDT. As soon as he goes to do the tequila sunrise, Buff comes in and hits him with the belt. Uh, oh no, he goes to try and hit him with the belt, but Conan punches him. He does like a cartoon pratfall. Bell rings, beatdown continues, Robinson gets knocked out, stupid NWO ref comes out, Steiner recliner, and then an attack with a chair. An attack that went on long enough that I thought someone was about to run down to save Conan, but that didn't happen. No, it's... Um, Which actually should have, uh, like... I was just going to say, you know what, I can't hate on it because it kind of sets the scene for the main event. Yeah, yeah. Um... So we get a sold out promo. It's on January 17th. Uh, Rath is here and takes the microphone unusually. Uh, so uh, this is where Eric finally speaks up and mentions that Goldberg is jailbait. Uh, you know, phrasing Eric. Uh, Rath says that he knows people have paid to see him drop the thermonuclear meltdown on the dome. And I was like, I don't think people in the dome have wanted him to drop a thermonuclear weapon on the arena, but whatever. Uh, he says he has no problem with doing that, but he has a problem with no competition. Issues an open challenge, and the bomber answers. And, like, look, this match is not really up no. to much, Lee, but, like, still at this point, because he's not in very long, Bam Bam coming out, no music, and a mean face. Yeah, he, he still has yeah. it. Like, he's still over at this point. This this is the guy that stepped up the goal, Rick. Yeah. Uh, out to the floor pretty quick brawling outside and in the ring Eric is moping about Goldberg being both jailbait and a prison punk uh, this is mostly Bam Bam in charge of this walking brawl I was actually surprised at how like inferior this made Raph look because um, it did look like he was really struggling to survive mm. here against Bam Bam uh, the match is called off after Bam Bam shoves the ref over and they brawl to the back then we finally get the penny dropping with the cops. Uh, they call bullshit on Liz and she cracks and reels back on her story after being threatened with arrest and felony charges. More Nitro Girls. Then we get Brian Adams with Vincent versus DDP. Um, DDP still over as hell. Uh, yeah, we, like, we should mention this. DDP is still the number two baby fate. Well... Two or three, depending on where you rank Nash. Mm-hmm. DDP is like right up there alongside Goldberg and Nash. Um, yeah. Incredibly over. Yeah. And by the end of the month, he's a heel. Yeah. Pretty alongside nice. with Nash, who is also yeah. a heel. <sighs> yeah. So, um, I like DDP's story in this match where he's trying to be cocky early on to annoy Adams. Uh, at this, I noticed, like, I, you know, we've never been too high on him as a performer in the ring on this show, but it's it's a match where I really noticed how bad Brian Adams' mm-hmm. basics are. Like, his footwork and his ring positioning are all over the place. I'm not normally one of those, like, super 
technical nerds who notices footwork when it's like a little bit off but it's so bad like he's just con- it's like two left feet I, I in there I can't remember if it was Rich or Joe on the VOW flagship said a couple, a couple of weeks ago they were talking about demolition and yeah. for whatever reason they were talking about demolition and they brought up that Adams he actively got worse the longer he wrestled he wasn't mm-hmm. that bad in demolition he yeah. He was worse as Crush. Then as the Attitude Era yeah. became a thing, he got worse and worse. Yeah. And like, by, so by the time that Chronic comes around, they're literally just trusted yeah. to do squash matches. Um, And like, to be fair, the squash matches got mm-hmm. over as hell, as we will talk about. But yeah, he couldn't be trusted to do that. And I was like, there are bits here where he stumbles over himself, he falls over, he gets tied up in the ropes because he thinks he's further away from them than he actually is. He has no ring awareness in that way. Um, a page hits uh, a springboard onto Adams and Vincent on the outside. The match goes through a commercial with Adams having the heat, which is a boring period of the, ma- of the match. Comeback starts with Lariat. The crowd are super into Page when he's doing any sort of comeback stuff. Vincent distracts the ref and Adams hits a low blow to cut off his momentum. The cycle continues of Paige trying to fight back a little but being cut off until finally he manages to keep Vincent at bay and hits another cool, innovative variation on the diamond cutter. Basically hits a tornado diamond cutter off the second rope. Really cool. Great finish. And I will say, like, even though we've buried him, the closing stretch of this match, like once DDP started to get back in and control the match a little bit, I actually do think this turned out to be one of the better Brian Adams uh, matches look, we've seen. Even though he is, he awful. was there for him. That's all you can say. He 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 played his yeah. part at the end. Yeah. Uh, so uh, also in this match, fantastic job, Bobby Heenan putting Page over huge. He clearly mm-hmm. liked him quite a lot. Um. Then we get a segment where Goldberg is cleared and released. So because they're across, um the street Lee you would think over this commercial break and introductions for this match that Goldberg would be right over for the start of this match turns out no he must have got lost in the straight path across the road to the the Georgia Dome yeah Uh, Lee's best mate Buffer is here meaning it is time for the main event it's Hogan with Scott Steiner versus Nash for the world heavyweight championship deep breaths Lee uh, Buffer reuses almost word for word his intro for Nash from the pay-per-view <laughs> the lazy prick um, um, huge roar and pop from the crowd as Nash points to the back and Scott yes. Hall emerges in a Wolfpack t-shirt um, and then it starts yep bell rings Tony mentions that they're going to stay with this all night if they have to Bobby puts it over that these two hate each other and they could go all night if they have to and you know, this is going to be epic. And I mean, the bell rings and the. F- and Na- so, so Nash does the mocking yeah. Hogan shirt rip, which is, which um, is cool. The fans are so pro Wolfpack. They are so yeah. into the Wolfpack at this point. Yeah. That everything from this point on is literally burning money. Yeah. You can hear fans turn off the product in this match. So they circle each other for a while. Um, Hogan circles. He stretches on the rope. Heenan notes that he's in his street clothes. But I I always think that makes sense. Because again, he showed up not expecting to wrestle. Um, Nash shoves Hogan into the corner and then taunts. And then it happens, Lee. 
the finger poke of doom, as it has become historically known as. Hogan reaches out one index finger, pokes Nash in the chest. Nash takes a comedic bump. Hogan pins him one, two, three. Hogan is the new world heavyweight champion. Nash springs up and immediately starts celebrating with him. And the two Scots come in and they start celebrating together. It was all a plan. All along, Hogan is your champion once more. And the reaction to this in the crowd when the finger poke happens is silence and audible groaning laughter. It's not booze. It's not, my God, we hate these guys. It's, fuck this. And Eric Bischoff, who springs into life on commentary when this happens, is absolutely insufferable. And not in a way that is money generating. Because again, the arc of Bischoff, we've gotten the payoff of seeing him get his beating now. Now now he's trying to make his way back to the top again. So there's no money Mm -hmm. in it. And the manner in which he does it, to me, is change the yeah. channel stuff. Like, it's just nails on a chalkboard, him lording it up. And the one good line in here is Bischoff, you know, talking up Hogan and saying, the man, the myth, the what the hell is he doing here? As finally fucking Bill Goldberg finds his way into the arena. Um, I'll, I'll wrap this up now. We can kind of talk about the, the thing as a whole. But uh, Goldberg arrives... As Goldberg arrives into the arena, people are throwing garbage into the ring. So, you know, Hogan, Matt Cardona on the same level. Um, Goldberg takes out the NWO one by one until it's just Hogan. Uh, Hogan hits him with the belt and starts raining blows down him, but the advantage doesn't last long. Whips him into the ropes, which you should never do with Goldberg. Goldberg hits a spear. Luger comes out to help him, but as Goldberg sets up the jackhammer, Luger attacks him. All of them beat him down. Goldberg still has the handcuff on him. Uh, Buff and Liz are down and so and the cattle prod has arrived as well. Goldberg is handcuffed to the ropes. Eric, completely insufferable still. Goldberg is stripped shirtless, spray painted, cattle prodded. Nash shouts, can you say deja vu into the camera as they spray the belt and we go off the air. Um, Lee, as you said, this was one of the biggest money burning angles like this is on a level with the night where they did 18 months of invasion mm-hmm. stuff in one night where they had like the uh, like WCW turn on the WWF like start attacking them all night then they had ECW guys turn on the WWF guys then they had Online. WCW yeah. join ECW and Stephanie be revealed as the owner and like fuck's sake like this was in terms of burning through you could have stretched out the individual events in this like i wouldn't have done the first one the finger poker doom is one of the dumbest dumbest fucking things they ever did never would have done it but in terms of the turns and setting up this new version of the nwo that could have been done over the course of months mm-hmm. you know so it is actively channel changing stuff it is actively telling the fans that nothing they get invested in matters because they were so into like they loved Goldberg they didn't want to see him beaten but Nash was over like Rover at this time and they liked the idea of a babyface Nash world title run they wanted to see Nash Goldberg too and they bait and switched that on the program they were happy with the Hogan fill in because they thought Nash is going to beat Hogan because he's retiring 
send them off out of the territory and this is what we fucking got one of the they should in the hypothetical wrestling booking school this should be taught in how not to book wrestling 101 yeah it's everything you just said it's it it's one of the dumbest decisions a major corporation has ever made and it i don't mean yeah. just wrestling i don't mean i just mean yeah. in business in general because yeah there yeah. is so much money <laughs> it's it's that de- it's them and Enron. honestly like it, it's so much money thrown away they literally yeah. had while they were still like they weren't like we said we weren't they weren't winning the war at this point but they were still competitive and something we had even mentioned on the starcade show is there are still opportunities to turn mm-hmm. this around on t- like this to me the double whammy of breaking the streak and the finger poke of doom this is my right they're never coming back i mean you know people I mean? say you know the whole thing of when wcw closed that you know four million fans disappeared no 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 a lot of those fans had disappeared long before the company fucking closed yeah and some of the ones that were left were kind of just um like i think Meltzer's always said like there's some people that don't even care about it anymore but they just watch it because they yeah. always have do you know what I mean? That that base hardcore kind of we always do this on a Monday. So like the only people Nitro hadn't was the people that won't just watch TNT on Monday. People people that would have watched a fucking colour yeah. test pattern if it was on on the same um, It's look, uh, I get the whole idea of they're trying to set up this new mega fucking heel stable. You've got Nash, yeah. Hogan, Hall, all main eventers. Uh, Steiner is right there. Luger is another main eventer. Bagwell is your fucking comedic guy. I get that. And I get that Goldberg laid them all out one by one until it just got too much. Yeah. But after seeing it for two plus years until eventually they got Goldberg on top. And he was the one that the fans believed in. And then they got DDP right up to that level. And he is somebody the fans believed in. And our show started off with they had gotten Sting right up to that level as someone yeah. the fans believed in. They built and killed three enormous baby faces Four. in a single year. Because they and, did it to Nash as well. Oh, they did it to Nash as well, yeah. And then there is like a whole strata of maybe half a dozen mm-hmm. other guys who were at that like US title level that they could have... like elevated over the course of 1998 and just killed them before they even yeah, got that far. They've killed Nash, Goldberg, yeah. DDP, mm. Sting, Brehart never got going. Yeah. And it's lessons that still haven't been learned mm-hmm. in major companies because this is one of the major problems in WWE now is they cannot get out of their own way no. building baby faces. And any of the baby faces that the crowds choose oh, no, are like, no, 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 you yeah, can't have that guy. You want. Yeah, that's not the guy. And they can build strong heels sometimes. Like, I think a lot of the work Roman has done the last year has been the best of his career. And I think that I have really enjoyed Big Bobo Lasho's mm-hmm. heel, dominant heel run. Because again, building, like, not to disrespect either man, but building a top pro wrestling heel is much easier. Yeah. You just have him demolish yeah. the dudes yeah. people care about all the time. Um, 
but building a baby face like again various times during 1998 either they had booked a guy into a position where he could have been the guy for the medium to long term or they had someone who would organically get over and then they would mm-hmm. block them um but they missed so many opportunities to build a top guy and you know for the reasons we've always talked about you know because the cadre of people at the top of this company to get out of the way. wanted yeah. certain things um and didn't they only had the vision as far as their own pay packets and their own place on the card and didn't realize that or didn't care that like a rising tide raises all ships and if you invest that in a goldberg in a sting in a nash baby face in whatever if they're making money hand over fist for the company everybody's making it and you know. It's worth pointing out that in July of '98 they got the belt off Hogan, and they saved themselves some major, major headaches. Because as we pointed yeah. out, everything post George Adam that Hogan touched was horrendous, like god awful yeah. stuff. Some of the worst stuff we've seen. And now we're right and back now, to it. The start of 1999, we're right back to Hogan has the belt, and who's he gonna drop it to? Yeah. Because he's not putting over Goldberg again. No. Because that was the thing. Like, we talked about it at the time. We read it in The Observer on the show. Is that Hogan only agreed to the match in the first place because he was basically guaranteed that Mm -hmm. he would get his win back and he would be the one to break the streak. And one of the things that led to a more tempestuous relationship between Hogan and World Championship Wrestling was how pissed he was, the politician Hogan, that he didn't get to do that. And Nash did. And... You know, I don't know because I haven't read The Observer from this week in history, but I would suspect that him getting the belt was at least partly as a make piece for not oh, getting I can imagine that. the stink he's kicked up over the past two weeks. Yeah. So, like, fine. Have and it. Listen, you know, I know the whole thing is Kevin Ash booked himself to, to beat Goldberg. Whether he did or didn't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But. I, I can imagine whether it's Nash or whether it's Sullivan, whether it's Terry Taylor, whether it's Bischoff himself, I don't think it matters. Yeah. Because if for yeah. two or three weeks they've been listening to Hogan moaning yeah. and bitching and politicking, I can imagine they just went, yeah. fine, you have the belt. I think history for a lot of the other players in WCW, history has settled in a way that makes it much easier for a lot of these people to say Nash's mm-hmm. booking is the problem during this period and yes Nash was booking however he wasn't the only no. voice in a room he wasn't the it, only chief do you think that guy 100% of the ideas like booking up and down the card are all him or do you think Bischoff and Hogan it, and probably half collective. a dozen other it, chiefs it's 100% are actually and Nash is just the guy who, when it went bad, because he was technically the guy who was in charge of creative, is the one that they've all kind of gone, yeah, it was him. Like, you know, it's the, cl- it's the classic thing, like, um, no, no. a lot of these people, like, when you hear interviews with Hogan, or later in 99, when, when, when mm-hmm. Russo and Ed Ferrara get the book, and whenever Hogan is accused of, you know, these, you know, being political in WCW, whenever Russo during his period of booking is accused of being shite, 
all these slimy fuckers, they're like, oh, Matt, brother, you're getting me wrong, you know. There was a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes. I think Nash, while culpable, at least in part, is a very easy scapegoat. And here's the thing, Nash will openly admit, in 1999 or 2000, whatever it is, he books himself into a retirement because he could. He books himself into being world champion because he could. Yeah. And like, do you think for a single second, if Nash laid this all out, start to finish completely by himself, and Hogan or Bischoff or any of the other principal actors weren't absolutely loving the idea that it would have happened, mm-hmm. that like no matter what Nash said, Hogan and that were going to go along with it? Because even Nash himself has said in, in shoot interviews later, and let me tell you, Nash is always box office for a shoot interview. Uh, he has always said that like, he just couldn't like he one of the reasons he doesn't last forever in creative is because much as him and Hogan are mates, he couldn't deal with the fucking mm-hmm. heartache of trying to book Hogan because, again, in something we've always said is like Hogan and the that's not going to work for me, brother. You know, um, so, yeah, just horse shit. And one of those that like it's so depressing watching so much money get burned. Watch these rabid WCW fans get fucking bait and switched and get their night ruined so many times that you, uh, it, you know god like you want to talk about a, a show that sets mm-hmm. the tone for this year uh, like I know on commentary and everything they were putting it over as this is what a way to start the year and yes I think this does set the tone for the year the but think, not yeah. in the way that they thought it did um, yeah. in retrospect it's so easy to see how they ran people off week by week by week by week yeah and it it's like i know we we came we came into the show knowing exactly what it was but watching the two shows back to back it's so much worse yeah like we like we said like the the raw show was dog shit but it has that great main of the great moment to end the show yeah whereas nitro is like a load of wrestlers, a better wrestling and wrestlers you wish were doing better on the card. And wrestlers as a hardcore fan, you feel invested in wanting to see them do better. And then with a main event that you just don't want, you, you don't want to watch don't anymore. S- no. And that's the difference. That is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Just awful. But look, you know, we don't have a finish counter for this or anything like that, but Lee, um, give me your winners and losers. I suspect I know who's going to be in the losers category, but give me your winners and losers um, before we sign off. Winners, Mick Foley. Um, yep. God, just what a night, like what a, what a thing for him personally. And yeah, like he's so over. Kane, again, I was surprised at how over he was. Um, losers, yep. WCW, just the, the whole organization. Uh, I'm going to add to winners Sting because he wasn't on screen when any of this happened. I don't think... He's the one member of the Wolfpack that showed that wasn't on the show. I don't know for certain but I don't think he comes back for a couple of months. Is this when he's off shooting that film? And I think he just comes back as Sting. Yeah. So smartest man in the room really. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more on the losers being the entirety of WCW and... Look, I am excited to do yeah, more po- like yeah. podcasts in 99, but in terms of like how doomed this show is, like it's a it's fucking apparent mm-hmm. now. Um, but anyway, look, thank you all so much for listening to this Nights of Nitro special. We are back to our every regular 
two weeks podcast. We are starting with the first thunder of the year in two weeks. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back podcasting. Uh, We'll talk to you again after a while. Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now. You won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars